Coming up this week, off screen. Hellboy faces his demons. Marseille Martin gets a little. Jonah Hill takes us to the mid-90s. Sam Elliott is the man who killed Hitler. And then the Bigfoot. We get a pass to Wonder Park. And make a deal with the universe. All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Ben Cotton. I'm Kelly Needham. Welcome back, Ms. Needham. Oh, aren't you lucky? Oh, I've missed you. Oh. I mean, I mean, I, I, obviously, I love doing this with Case. No, you I, don't. I enjoy doing it with with John as well. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I know, <laughs> but it's always nice to have you back. So, uh, cinematic fun to be had. We've got to talk about uh, a bunch of movies. We've got to talk about the return of one of my favourite uh, fictional characters. So, uh, is it Danger Mouse? It is not Danger Mouse. Although oh. Danger Mouse is voiced now by John Oliver, who is in a movie we're reviewing this week. So it all comes full circle. It's, it's Marvel hashtag. It's all connected. They yes. <laughs> like no, the Marvel it. stuff will save for like a fortnight. But why? What's happening then? There's some indie film out like a fortnight. Marvel are really big on it. It <laughs> never gets old. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, before we get to box office top five, film mm-hmm. reviews, film mm-hmm. news, we need, mm-hmm. of course, a cherry on top. We need a, a good piece of film news to start with so what, what do you got for me this week what do you got i think we need to talk about hellboy now i know we're going to talk about hellboy we are but hellboy's in the news yes yes hellboy is um right can i just give you the backstory on hellboy please right not 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 the backstory of the character because we've had two versions of that now we have um so well three versions if you count the comics um by the way, the scene where Hellboy is born into the world, they have literally yeah. repeated that in the new movie. And you just sit and think, this is becoming Superman's origin story again. Like, I'm sick of seeing Krypton. I'm sick of seeing Uncle Ben die. You know, I'm sick of seeing... I was going to say, just do, do yeah. the Spider-Man homecoming. Yeah, do the homecoming just thing. Just skip it. He's dead. It's fine. It happens. It's fine. Yeah, we He's don't dead, need it. all right? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> but, um, so, Hellboy, as, as, a, as a film... Yeah. has been brought to us, it's come out in cinemas today. We're recording this on Thursday the 11th of April. Yep. Right, it opens in cinemas today. Mm-hmm. Now, that's odd anywhere that it's not a Friday. Now, the reason... Yeah. yeah. the reason you typically open a film ahead of a Friday is because you don't think the opening weekend numbers will be that good. Uh... And anything you earn in previews counts to the opening weekend. Got it. So it's a cheat. So it's a bit of a cheat. So when a movie opens on a Monday, mm. you know that's why. It, it's not for any other reason. They're not being altruistic. It's just, yeah. Can never explain why Marvel movies open on a Thursday, though. Don't know that one. But Can't isn't it normally it. like a midnight screen, though? It's usually midnight Wednesday. Oh, is it? Thursday morning. Like Avengers is oh. this time. You're like, why did you not think this was going to Because they're make... going for them records, yo. Yeah. <laughs> did you not think this was already going to make all the money? Anyway, so Hellboy's in cinemas on Thursday. Always... You know, shady sign right there. Yeah. And uh, there was one screening of it, which I didn't go to. Mm-hmm. Right, There was one screening of it. It was in a 48-seat screen in Soho House. And uh, the, the buzz amongst friends of mine who are film critics was, was not good. Oh. I mean, I will, a shocker. I will say that, to be honest, my 
social circle of film critics generally think that Mike Mignola is a movie that Tom Cruise got an Oscar nomination for. <laughs> you know, they I don't think they really get this stuff. It, I had to explain who Justin Timberlake was to a bunch of them when we saw Popstar a couple of years ago. But they make us feel young, Van. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. They really do. So, it's not gone down well, and I would argue you've really not got the best crowd there for that. It wasn't made for you. Yeah. So, Hellboy has been treated rather like it has something of an odour to it. It was embargoed pretty much up until the last minute, Mm -hmm. to a degree that I would describe as directly comparable to Fantastic Four a few years ago. I wonder why that happened. Yeah, imagine that. Imagine. Yeah, anyway. So, uh, this also doesn't help that it it comes on the back of a trailer that made the film look like its own Netflix spin-off. Yeah. Like, when you saw that trailer, did you not think, is this the Netflix series? What the hell is this? Yeah, kind of did. It's kind of camp, and, like, the trailer is the trailer is a lot camper than the film is, which is very weird. That's an interesting choice. Hmm. And I will, I'll, 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 you know, I'll, I'll not bury the lead on this one. Hellboy is, this new Hellboy is, to Del Toro's Hellboy, what the Defenders is to the Avengers. So use that. (laughs) Don't hold back. (laughs) Yeah, use that as your benchmark. I'm not saying it's bad. In fact, I'm probably going to say something quite the opposite in in five minutes or whatever. But uh, it's it's not it's not going well. It doesn't look well, and it's not been reviewed well. Now, on the back of it not being reviewed well, Mm -hmm. this news that you're about to impart upon us has come to light. So please fill me in. Well, you know, you always know the details far better than I do, but it sounds like the reason that it's not so good, which I don't know whether this is just an excuse, because they always find something. <laughs> don't they? Is because of arguments between, is it the producers in right. the background? There are 16 producers on Hellboy. Well, it's a lot to produce. Apparently, two of them have been quite problematic. Mm-hmm. I know Lawrence Gordon is one of them, because he's involved in a lot of comic book movies, and he also worked on the first two Hellboy movies as well, the, the Del Toro ones. Okay. Now, he is he's a Watchmen guy. Like, he's currently working on the Watchmen series for HBO. Right. And it's him and a guy named a Levin. A higher brow of comic book hero. Yes, the, the blue-swinging dong of comic book <laughs> heroes. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, apparently they and David Harbour, who plays Hellboy, and Neil Marshall, the director, yep. have had something of... Uh, I don't want to use the actual term I normally would, but uh, they have each been flexing their muscles. Something now, of a big swinging blue dong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what has actually happened is they have flexed their muscles and tried to assert authority over Neil Marshall. Neil Marshall is not a Hollywood guy. Right, Neil Marshall is a British filmmaker who uh-huh. has made his bones over the last, I think, 18 years now, basically doing John Carpenter movies, but British. So, Dog Soldiers, The Descent, uh, Doomsday, ah, you know. And, and these are all yeah. pretty good movies. I mean, I don't rate The Descent. I think The Descent is really overrated. I have all the time in the world for Doomsday. Um, and by God, do you see a lot of Doomsday in Hellboy? <laughs> but uh, th- so he has this whole John Carpenter thing going for him. David Harbour obviously is quite a passionate actor, and now that he has the clout of Stranger Things, yes, we you know he obviously gets to assert some of that, and it seems that that has not gone down well. What they have done is basically cut the legs out from under Neil Marshall at every turn. Poor they Neil have... Marshall, I know. And bear in mind, Neil Marshall directed the Battle of Blackwater Bay. So Game of Thrones, this guy gave us its best moments. Well, clearly he can't be trusted with something as precious as Hellboy. Yeah, 
<clears throat> dude literally wheeled out the Battle of Blackwater Bay, but he can't be trusted with your your Mike Mignola adaptation. No, no, <laughs> God forbid. Um, apparently they've sacked his cinematographer, uh, Sam Cundy. They sacked him. He's his go-to. Oh, wow. You know, a lot of directors have that cinematographer yeah. they like to work with. Yeah. Christopher Nolan, you know, used to love Wally Pfister and, and, and now has the guy whose name I can never remember, but it's, it's like the same name three times. Um, like Lars von Lars Lars. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that's his name. Uh, oh, I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out, actually. Lars von Lars Lars. But... Um, <clears throat> But this is the thing, they sacked his cinematographer. Uh, when he submitted the film, when he submitted his completed film, they took it away from him because apparently they never they never promised him final cut. So, oh, so it's one of those yeah. kind of Well, we never said that you'd get the final No, cut. we never said that. So. We may have implied it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, I think there's been a miscommunication. <laughs> yeah. One of those, you know, one of those. <laughs> that old chestnut. I'm, I'm on the, the page for Interstellar, by the way, on IMDb, so I'm going to find out. Is it Lars von Lars Lars? Hoyt van Hoytema. <laughs> that is that is Christopher Nolan's new cinematography. Hoyt you, van Hoytema. You were shockingly close. I was quite close, wasn't I? For, for off-the-cuff guess, that wasn't bad. <laughs> Lars van Lars Lars was not bad. That was quite close to Hoyt van Hoytema. But, yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they sacked his guy. You know, it's like one of those things. It's it's mm. like you know, someone takes over this show and like sacks you. And I, don't, you know, it's one of those things. You like to work with who you like to work with because yeah. you have a pat down. You have a you have a shorthand. You you know how these people work and and great... you trust them as well. That's a big thing. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, like no nobody like d- you know Denis Villeneuve knows, for instance, like how Roger Deakins works as yeah. a cinematographer. Yeah. That's why he keeps hiring him. That's why those movies are awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, awesome. A bit overlong, but awesome. Yeah. Two Dune movies coming up. Anyway, <laughs> by the way, speaking of, a friend of mine is going to star in Doom Annihilation. You know the Doom video games? Oh. The first a friend of mine is going to be in one. In like, a video game? In a, no, in the movie. They're making oh. a, they've made a movie out of Doom again. And he's I'm, some, I'm somewhat less impressed by that, but still. <laughs> My friend cool. Cassidy Little, uh, one-legged uh, military veteran. And, uh, and he, the character? I, I don't know. The, I don't know the character, but if he doesn't get his leg blown off, I'm going to be very disappointed. But uh, and by the way, that's a joke he himself will love, so Aww. that's fine. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so Hellboy's apparently a mess because of hashtag producers. But yeah, I'm sure that's the reason why. Now, yeah. I think if I'm not mistaken, Hellboy is actually going to be the first film we review. It so, is right. So let's talk really quickly. Podcast edition, extra reviews, extra news. Acast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, get on there. Meanwhile, Hellboy, we got to talk Hellboy. Yeah, so, so let's actually get into the film. So it's been 15 years they've rebooted Hellboy. Has it been that long? It's been 15 years since Hellboy. When yeah. did Hellboy two come out? 2008. Because the premiere was on July 31st, 2008. I know, because that's my birthday. I was there. Oh, happy birthday, Van. <laughs> met John Hurt. It was awesome. Sorry, <laughs> met the late John Hurt, and I love him forever because of it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Hellboy is back. Mm-hmm. It's the same basic setup. He's, you know, the demon spawn who is, you know, raised by Nazis, summoned by Nazis at the tail end of World War II. He's got a big hand. Got a big red right hand of doom, as it's called. Uh, he's taken in by Professor Brutenholm slash Broom, uh, played now by Ian McShane. And Hellboy himself grows up to become David Harbour, a.k.a. Yep. Sheriff Hopper, from Stranger Things, as he will always be called for the rest of his career now. Well. Now, the mission this time is, because he obviously works for the BPRD, the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defence, he's basically the SWAT team against supernatural mm-hmm. you know, threats. Uh, the threat this time is the Blood Queen, played Ooh. by Mila Jovovich. Oh! 
Yes, who is one of them. You ever see that Buffy episode uh, where Angel turned evil? And the whole, the villain was like carved up into boxes, yes. like his individual parts were different boxes and they yes. spread across the globe. Same thing, Milojovic, back in King Arthur times, uh-huh. was carved up into little pieces, put into boxes and sent around the world by the Knights of the Round Table. Learn to burn a body part, people. Didn't work. She's basically unkillable. The only way to stop her is to carve her up and separate her. Keep her apart. However... There is a giant pig monster voiced by Stephen Graham. A pig monster? <laughs> There's literally a man pig. A man bear pig. <gasps> man There's bear a man bear pig. <laughs> There's a man bear pig voiced by Stephen Graham. Yeah. So done with a scout accent. Nice. Right. Who has reassembled her. She's going to take over the world. Here's a clip. Why'd you bring me back anyway? Don't tell me it's because you miss me. Do you recall the Osiris Club? Oh, yeah. Strip joint in Jersey. The other one, the British Occult Society, formed in 1866 by the ranking members of the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. Ra? I met Ra once in the underworld. He's a close talker. Like us, they fight against the forces of darkness, and our organizations have a long-standing relationship. They're old friends of mine, and they've requested your assistance with a giant problem. Oh, yeah? What's that? Giants. Right, there is very obviously a specific tone to this. Now, if you heard David Harbour in that clip... Who you... sounds like he's doing his best John Goodman impression. Kind of does, doesn't he? Yeah. I maintain Like, that. credit to him, he's not doing Ron Perlman. No, he's not. And it does, it does, this movie does illustrate exactly how fortunate a casting that was. Like, mm. Ron Perlman just happens to look like Hellboy. He does. It's the weirdest thing. Like, very little makeup. It's like casting Benito del Toro as the Wolfman. Yeah. Why bother <laughs> using makeup effects? Like, just put some extra hair on him and call it a day. (laughs) Just paint Ron Perlman red. David Harbour obviously has to rely on the physicality of it a little bit more. Now, the film is not good. I have to say that. The film is not good. The film is is a mess. It really is. The dialogue is terrible. It's been written by a chimp, it would seem. (laughs) Um, There's literally a moment in this in which we watch stuff happen Mm. and then we cut to Ian McShane and he tells us what just happened. Oh, there's a 5th century evil wizard witch in the world who's unleashing a plague and she's going to kill us all and we have to stop her. I'm like, yeah, cheers for that, Ian. I kind of knew that. We just watched it happen. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Um, Daniel Day Kim, who, bear in mind, was only cast in this movie because the first guy they cast happened to be the wrong colour and race, okay. is awful. So we had the whole race-bending controversy where Ed Screen got cast... Oh! Ed Screen okay, got yeah, cast yeah. as, I think his name's Daimyo, um, or Daimyo. Uh, he's a member of the BPRD who I think the film intends to leave his, his, uh, his circumstances as something of a reveal. Okay. But it's out there. You can find this out pretty easily. But there's, there's something to him and it's, it's a bit obvious, but yeah. Anyway, they try to be coy about it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. Daniel Day Kim also does not work. So after all of this, where, you know, white guy cast as a Japanese character. You know, he bowed out himself voluntarily. Good on him, I say. You know, he was very good about it. He was very gracious about it. Look, Should I didn't... have accepted it in the first place. He didn't know. He, yeah, he, I'm he not did, having that anymore. He did anymore. say. He I'm did say. Look, I've never read a Hellboy comic in my life. Yeah, well, I apologize. do some research before you accept a role, dude. Well, wouldn't you do that after you took the role? Well, no, because surely you'd want to see, well, what is this thing all about? Am I even interested? Could I play this? Look, let's it's be honest. Lazy. This, this character is going to, this, this particular role is going to have been paid like half to three quarters of a million, say. 
you know, for this low-budget movie. If you offer me that amount of money, I'll do the research after I say yes. You know, it's like, you want to be in a Hellboy movie? We'll give you some, ba- give you some bang for your buck. I'm like, cool. Yeah, bring it on. I would have looked into it after. And also, the name is fairly non-specific as well. That I'll give you. However, Daniel Day Kim is goddamn terrible in this. Now, the weird thing is, they cast Ed Screen as a Japanese-American character. Mm -hmm. Why? Doesn't make a whole heap of sense. As a white British male, you mm, mean. (laughs) Until until you then notice that most of the film is set in London. So you're like, oh, okay. So the character now has been repurposed as British. Right. So... We will now hire a Korean to play our Japanese American character. Sure. To which apparently that's fine because optics. Not enough people in Japan clearly to find an actor. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, he's terrible. Can't do the accent to save his life. Sasha Lane from American Honey is playing what was originally a red haired, you know, a red haired Irish character. Oh. So nobody had an issue with that, but it's about as terrible. And she is equally terrible in this. They are so bad in this that they <laughs> genuinely make Mila Jovovich, who also sucks, look like Oscar-caliber territory. I'm liking the sound of this. I'm oh, not yeah. going to lie. <laughs> however, however, David Harbour and Ian McShane, they're having the time of their lives. Hey, and good on them. As I've said to you, what is Hellboy but that moment from Indiana Jones with the sword slaying, you know, evil mm. warrior that Indy, Indy just pulls the gun out and shoots? That is literally Hellboy as a character. Yeah. Ian McShane and David Harbour are very aware of this. Neil Marshall, the director, is very aware of this. They have gone for that. The script's garbage. It's been hacked to buggery. Well, it doesn't work. Yeah. It is excessively gory in all the most fun ways. I had a great time with it because you know what? It tries to have some fun. In that way that Neil Marshall movies always do. They know their crap. Yeah. But, you know, they're fun about it. No one is looking at Dog Soldiers and saying, this is our Best Picture nominee for this. No one's doing that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Nobody is looking at Centurion or Doomsday and going, this is what we put up for Golden Globes. It's a Neil Marshall movie. <laughs> and it's Hellboy. It's Hellboy. I mean, it's arguably the... I preferred it to the, the first Hellboy movie, if you want the honest truth. Wow. I, I don't think it's as good as Golden Army. I think Golden Army's an amazing movie. This is not as good as that. But I had fun with it. It's a mess. But, to be fair, it's a Hellboy movie. I've read Hellboy books for 30 years. You know, they, they are like this. All right. They're not quite as expository. And I will say that you automatically get an extra star from me just for pulling off what's basically the first line of dialogue of this movie, which I cannot legally repeat on radio. Ooh, Ian McShane does a voiceover. You know that old Anthony Hopkins in Thor thing? Long yeah. ago, in the time of Blardy Blah, yeah, yeah, yeah. when the bleep bloops invaded the, the Lardy Dars. That. The Lars von Lars Lars. The Lars von Lars Larses. Yeah. Um, Ian McShane does that at the beginning of this movie with yeah. one line that I'm sorry, I was in. I was in at that point. He just puts a PS on the end of his first line of dialogue in this movie. It's a terrible movie, but that line he puts on sets the tone brilliantly. The film is garbage. It is an absolute dumpster fire of a film. (laughs) It is up there. It reminded me of John Carpenter's Vampires. Nice. You ever see that with James yes. Woods? Jack Crow. That one. Um, I actually want to re-watch Vampires now. Right. Um, and it's fitting because Neil Marshall has always wanted to be John Carpenter. So why are we terribly shocked that he has now wheeled out John Carpenter's Vampires? Incidentally, yes, the first actual threat in this movie is a vampire by coincidence. But uh, 
It's a Hellboy movie. You know, it looks like its own Netflix spin-off. It plays like its own Netflix spin-off, but it has a bloody good time getting there, to be fair. And I, I thought it was trash. I thought it was garbage. But you know what? I'm going to see it again. I'm going to see it again because I loved it. Well, take me next time. I will, I will take you. And you know what? <laughs> You'll have a great time. There's a movie coming out next week that's a lot like this, um, which is a Neil Jordan film ah. <laughs> rather than a Neil Marshall film. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. I thought it was great fun. But it is garbage. I'm very aware that it's garbage. And the film seems to be aware that it's garbage. But even that's, though that's when they're better films, when they're aware of how bad they are. How good would the pirate sequels have been if they'd done that? Exactly. Huh? <laughs> With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back, Ms. Needham. So, uh, shall we take a little journey? Please. Should Where we can get, we go? Should we get a wonder park? <gasps> yes, please. Right. I thought this was going to be terrible. I'll be really honest. I have to say, I've seen the trailer. It looks terrible, doesn't it? And it looks horrific. It does look horrific. Right. It's fine. Oh. Perfectly fine. It, it really is. I, I walked into this thinking, why has John Oliver done this? Mm. Like, John Oliver is not a paycheck guy. You know, John Oliver is a god of topical news comedy. He's ethical. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's not a guy that takes a gig just for the money. He's, you know, he usually takes it for creative worth. Yeah. You know, and you look at the things he's done and that absolutely tracks. Yeah. But he is in this and it's it's a story of a young girl whose mother, <laughs> the film's a little bit shady about this because at different times they imply different things. Okay. Right. She's and it's young, animated. It's right? anima- animated. an animated film. It's animated to about the standard of Despicable Me. Right, it's one of those sort of no-name animation studios, but it's animated to sort of that despicable me level. Okay, you know where is it garbage or is it quirky and unique? You yeah. know that, that sort yeah. of middle ground in between. We can't decide if it's garbage or quirky or unique. It's that level, mm-hmm. right? It's not Sammy a Turtle's Tail, put it that way, <laughs> or was it the Reef? Or was it, so yes, what, the Reef know? that was like Shark's Tail. Well, remember, even Shark's Tale was quite poorly animated. Well, there you go. That's was Shark's Tale the one where they did Car Wash with Christina Aguilera? Yes. Yeah. Oh, God, that movie sucked. <laughs> that was the mobster movie for kids. The mobster movie. Scors- Jack, Jack Black was like the, the mobster's son as a shark. Yeah. Well, let's do a Scorsese cameo in a children's film. That'll go down well because of all those kids who love Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It was on like Channel 5 one Sunday afternoon recently. I was like, how does this exist? Because of the money. Anyway, anyway, Wonder Park. (laughs) Wonder Park. So, young girl, uh, suburban home, you know, white picket fan. She's Mm -hmm. big into magic and staging shows for the local kids. Not the card game, though. No, uh, thankfully not. And (laughs) we we save that for your better half. But uh, (laughs) anyway. Hi, John. (laughs) Also, Kermo's really into that. Anyway. Anyway. Um, So, she puts on, like, magic shows and things. And she has invented, with her mum, who she's Mm -hmm. very close to. She's the only child, like, close to her mum, who is voiced by... uh, uh, is it Jessica? Oh, not Jessica, but uh, Jennifer Garner. Oh, okay. The mum's voiced by Jennifer Garner. The daddy's voiced by uh, Matthew Broderick. Oh, nice. She's invented a fictional Simba. amusement park, you know, like we've all done. Yeah. In our heads. Mm-hmm. Where if I had an amusement park, the Ferris wheel would run up and down a mountain. Literally that. Oh. She's invented it, and one day she goes on a school trip as a sort of therapy for herself and her dad, because her mum has cancer and she's gone away oh. to a hospital for treatment, like, far away. Oh, man. Yeah. And the film gets very dark and vague about that. So at different times, they do behave as if she's died. Okay. And it's, it's very strange. They can't seem to make their mind up about it. She goes away on a school trip with her friend, and she gets lost in the forest, and she finds that, oh, my God, the park I've invented in my imagination, Wonderland 
which the film was originally called, before for some reason they changed it to Wonder Park. So it's still called Wonderland in the film? Yep. Okay. okay. Can't explain it, don't ask. Um, <clears throat> this park exists, and all the fictional talking animals that she's invented for this park also exist. What? Yeah. So Boomer, a giant, cuddly, you know, grizzly bear who's blue, uh, is played by that dude who was the, the fat guy getting tattooed in Armageddon. Oh, Another one. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got a porcupine named Steve, voiced by John Oliver. Nice. You've got a warthog, voiced by Mila Kunis, because talk about reverse casting. <laughs> and you've got two little gophers who, in the US, one of them's voiced by Keenan. Uh, Kel. Is it Kel? Who? Keenan or Kel? I can't, I can't remember. Thin or fat? The fat guy. That's Keenan. That's Keenan. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not really fat, is he, anymore? But no, but... The you one know, you always thought of as the fat one. Exactly. Yeah, the actually talented one. Yes. The longest-serving cast member in the The one that's on that. SNL. Yes, thank you. So, Which one did you say, Keenan or Kel? Keenan. Right, so it's Keenan in the US is one of these gophers. In the UK, it's two YouTubers. Oh, man. No, and... Yeah, I know. Anyway, so she's in the park. It turns out that the park is dealing with a sort of otherworldly force that they refer to as the darkness Mm. that seems to have descended upon them and is consuming the park bit by bit in the form of small zombie-like minions. Here's a clip. We can't keep up! Boomer the Welcome Bear? (laughs) Run for your life! Chasing Boomer! Oh, we're not chasing him! They're chasing us! Gus, not that awning down! I'm on Cooper, start the pump! Yep. Steve! I'll draft up an exit plan! You're the bait! Yeah, of course I am. Baiting away! Boomer, you protect her with your life! Uh, hey! Boomer! Uh, what is going on around here? What does it look like? A no. pan zombies! Over here! Dinner is served! So you get a nice bit of the you know, the John Oliver shtick in there, and it works, and, mm-hmm. and they, you know the actors are committing to the part. Incidentally, you'll notice that in our clip, that is the voice of Keenan and Orkel. Why do they do this? I, I don't have get it. No it's like idea. in one of the Shreks where Jonathan Ross turns up, the voice in <laughs> one of the ugly sisters. I do you remember that? I remember. Like, what? Uh, Jeremy Clarkson turns up in Cars as well. What? If you remember in the oh, UK yes. in the UK only version of Cars, yeah. Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Jeremy Clarkson turns up. Just stop doing it. Do you know who played that same role in the uh, American version? Who? Way? Jeremy Piven. Oh, because no one's ever heard of him. Yeah, no one's ever heard. Of, no one's ever heard of Mr. Selfridge. Children watching Cars are like, oh, of course it's Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, they actually don't list the British YouTubers on IMDb. They only list Kent, Keenan Thompson, and whoever the other one was. I, I forget, but uh, might have been Ken Jong actually. Oh. I think it was Ken Jong. Oh man. I know. So, yeah, we got denied that for two YouTubers who Paramount are just friendly with. I don't know. And they're, they're nothing. They're nothing voices. They do that's just almost like... as dark as this film sounds. Yeah. <laughs> but to be fair to the film, it is actually... It's not bad at all. Like, I, I watched it. I, was, I, was perf- I had a perfectly good time. It reminded me... In fact, on the scale, on mm. the enjoyment scale, like yeah. Hellboy ranks with, like, John Carpenter's vampires. Sure. This ranks with, I would say, Over the Hedge. Oh, no. Which is... Ooh. That's fine. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't dislike Over the Hedge. I thought Over the Hedge was perfectly fine. I... I yeah. You kids know. will like it. Yeah. Kids will like it, but they're going to be younger kids. Yeah. And, you know, mum and dad will check their phones. You know what I mean? It, it is one of those... Mum not and dad in my cinema screen. <laughs> Hopefully not. We'll talk about that in the podcast. We will. But uh, <laughs> I thought it was, I was pretty good. I mean... It is what it is. It's, you know, it's a cheap and cheerful animated adventure. It works. 
you know, it has nice things to say. The it, kids are off school. Yeah, the the, the, the moral the of cinema. it was... Yeah, that's why it opened on a Monday exactly. in the middle of the Northern Easter holiday. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it's fine. Didn't dislike it. I didn't love it. I thought it was very fun. I thought it was kind of cute. You know, it, it worked. Right. It worked. And also, you know, of course, John Oliver's the MVP of this. Well, know? obviously. <laughs> why would he not be? I mean, he's a porcupine named Steve. Come on! <laughs> John Oliver... You can get me into literally any movie. If you tell me Aquaman 2 is going to star John Oliver as a porcupine named Steve... You're in. You got my money. You know what I mean? I have no interest in Aquaman 2, but you got my money if you do that. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's fine just, you know, if you're a parent, take a pillow. If you're a kid, brace yourself for a good time. The end, you know. Does what it says on the tin. Does what it says on the tin, exactly. So, top five, Dan? Let's do it. Number five. It's Peppa Pig, the festival of fun. <laughs> so, which of course is more notable now for having horror trailers played before it than actually well, being a film. You know, you've got to—it's like you've got to build up the immunity of kids to films <laughs> these days. You know, they're not exposed <laughs> to enough anyway. We're going to inoculate you against gore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here's Octavia Spencer messing with some teens. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's a hard trailer that one it as well. Is that? Like that is—that's not messing What's around. That called against some weird like Ma. Mama. Ma, it's that's Ma. It. They played Ma and Brightburn, apparently. Nice. Was it The View in Ipswich, I think? Was oh, it, oh, it was in Ipswich, I remember that, which I can't remember which chain it was, but uh, it's not the first time it's happened. But, you know, neither of us obviously have seen Peppa Pig, so, you know, on to the next one. Shall we? Number four is Captain Marvel. Which I like more in hindsight, I think, than yeah. I did when I saw it. To yeah, be really I liked it. Did you think it lacked weight? I think it does. I think if you take it on face value, it's mm. one of the more dull Marvel fil- movies. Marvel yeah. movies. And it kind of sits with Ant-Man where yes! it's kind of on its own in this kind of like, oh, okay. I actually thought of it in contrast to something like the first Thor movie where I sat there and thought, yeah. you know, it's 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 fairly lightweight and it kind of feels a bit inconsequential despite the fact that it actually does have things to say. And she's it, a huge character that's mm. obviously going to be very important in a couple of weeks' time. She really is. But what I will say about it, as a female, mm. it was nice seeing a female superhero who, A, is actually a superhero with yeah. you know powers, and B, isn't just a sex object. Well, there was that. I will say that even... even she ain't I, wearing no high heels to be running marathons in. Even I could not objectify Brie Larson in Captain Marvel. And I'm, and I'm basically a deviant. You're I a mean, perv. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> did you know Brie Larson has creative control over her own physical appearance in the Marvel movies? I'm quite right. That's a Good for her. strange one. I never really, it's not something I considered. Anyway, um, my thing, that's the thing. I, I do think of it in, in comparison to that first Thor movie. I just sit there and think like... It's weird that I'm watching this movie thinking, okay, yeah, it's it's the it's the it's finally the female-driven Marvel movie. But couldn't the Dora Milaje kind of mess her up if they you know want to put half an ounce of effort into it? Mm. But also, if we want to be really technical, and I do like Captain Marvel, I had a good time. That Stan Lee cameo is one for the ages, it and is. also weirdly creates the idea that Kevin Smith exists within the MCU as Kevin Smith. Oh, so it does. Mm, yeah, um, but also I just there and think your big baller move is something Thor did literally three times in a row in five seconds in Infinity War so yeah I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in Endgame because if those two don't go full uh, 
Gimli and who's the elf in Lord of the Rings? Uh, Orlando Bloom. Oh, Orlando. Legolas. Legolas. If they don't go full Gimli and Legolas in Endgame, you know when they were uh, hacking down guys and counting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like 23, 24, <laughs> you know. If they don't do that after the whole end of Captain Marvel thing, I'm going to be really disappointed. But I had a good time. I'm annoyed about the whole, you know, Sam Jackson ocular development that they've put in there. But that's yeah. only because I'm a purist and they well. promised me better. But I'll watch it again. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, I had a good time. Kick-ass soundtrack. And, you know, told Phil's back. Oh, yeah. It's always nice to see a Coulson, isn't it? It is. You'll be a Coulson soon, won't you? I will. So, on to the next one. Number three. It's Pet Cemetery with an S. Which we saw together. We did. Have you seen the original one? The Um, the, the 89 version? So I decided to be really efficient about it, and Mm. I skipped watching it, and instead I watched Cinema Sins. (laughs) You know, everything wrong with with Pet (laughs) Cemetery in 16 minutes, and I I think I got the gist. Which, with that movie, is is, that's a long list. There was a lot of sins at the end, I'm not going to... The movie's fine, isn't it? It, it, It's a perfectly tolerable remake. It's a bit... It's obviously been been hacked up a bit. It's, It's more on the crap and the, yeah. the, the good end but, but it is middle fine. ground isn't it but it's fine yeah but uh, I mean Jason Clark, who I, I I confess I still think has no mainstream charisma whatsoever that's because he's an empty shell <laughs> kind of is I mean he does intensity and nuance really well but yeah. not likability and investment he's and, very forgettable mm, John Lithgow though reason to remake this he's movie brilliant. just he's get him in the Fred good. Gwynn role we enjoyed him we did and I think for, for me you summed up i can't remember exactly what you said but you mm. said like there's a happy medium between a netflix what was it yeah, there's a, there's, there is a middle ground oh, between, between 12 crank. episodes between crank and a 12 episode netflix marvel series yeah because this thing swings from being slow as hell to really fast to really really yeah. fast and you can't really understand what they're saying and da, 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 da. And then it's really slow again. I would. It goes Eddie Redmayne, doesn't it? It does. I create life. And I take it away. And I take it away. <laughs> it is that. <laughs> um, it, if you're if you're new to the Stephen King game though, and you've you're coming to this because you know you've you've joined the Stephen King fandom because of it, you know, sure. last year, yep. you're yep. probably going to be fine. I, but... mean, I think you're going to come away thinking. Whoa, that thing's dark. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but, you know, legendarily, that is what even Stephen King thought of Pet yeah, Cemetery. I mean, exactly. He wasn't meant to publish this. But uh, it was literally a case of a deadline. Sure. But, uh, yeah, it, it's fine. It's nothing amazing. And it certainly ain't no it. But, uh, you know, for better results, see It, Chapter 2, out in like three months. Number two. It's Dumbo. Which you saw. We'll talk about it later. But <laughs> We will. I, I can't give you an opinion. Tune into podcast extras to find out why. We'll get to it, darling. We'll get to it. What did you think of Dumbo? Again, fine. I mean, it's very restrained for a Tim Burton movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, On a sort of cinematography level, it it seems kind of muted as well. I don't think you would ever know that that's Tim Burton if you were watching it. Oh, I don't know. If I see uh, Ava Green, Michael Keaton and Danny DeVito in the same space for more than a second, I usually just think, oh, Tim Burton's doing this. But I mean, visually... No, it's not necessarily a Tim... It doesn't not, look particularly like a Tim It's not very Burton. Tim Burton. No. And that's so weird because I've recently sort of fallen back in love with Tim Burton mm. finally after, you know, two decades of him sucking. Yeah. You know? But uh, I do not ever need to see a remake of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Planet of the Apes or Alice in Wonderland. Stop it, Tim. Stop it. Go back to trying to ruin Superman like you used to do. Anyway. <laughs> uh, mind you, I mean, DC have kind of taken care of that for us, haven't they? But, yeah, uh, job done. Yeah, job done. Even Henry Cavill can't be bothered now. But, <laughs> uh, I liked Dumbo. It was fine. You know, it was cute. 
you know, Dumbo himself is very lovable. I'll kill for him if he asks me. He is super cute. He is. I'll give you that. Uh, I thought he was creepy when I saw the trailer, but no. <laughs> now now I'm, I'm thinking he's cute. It just about works. Don't breathe too much into it, because if you go under the surface, you can start to find really dark things in Dumbo, but uh, Matt's for meta text and for analysts to work on, not us. Certainly. It was fine. You know what? It's a live-action Dumbo. What did you expect of it? Number one. It's the magic word. Shazam. Loved it. Loved it. First DCEU movie I actually end-to-end enjoyed. Yep. Really. Zach Levi needs to be in more movies. But it does also like, a bit like Captain Marvel, where mm. it's really out on its own, like an Ant-Man or Captain Marvel yeah. of, of first Thor. It's completely isolated yeah. from the absolute garbage that is. What are they called? The Avengers that are DC? Justice, Justice League. League. Yeah. yeah. And and all the better for it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it kind of has to be by virtue of being fun. Because yeah. none of those other movies were fun. They're not fun. You can. I'm, I'm sorry, but you can scream about Aquaman to me until you're blue in the face. You ain't ever convincing me that movie was anything other than a garbage. Oh, it was trial. terrible. It was but. horrific. And also, I could see everything in this film. <laughs> yeah, it was all like actually lit up. <laughs> yeah. It was properly shot. I don't David think there was any real dark yeah. moments. Weird like, thing is, horror director. Horror director yeah. did this. Oh, yeah. Who knew? This is like James Gunn doing Guardians of the Galaxy. It made no sense at the time. And then you see the finished finished product. And you're like, yeah. wow. And they announced a sequel this week. And my response to that was, I'm absolutely gobsmacked. They just announced a sequel. Yeah. And not a sixth film cinematic universe. A Freddie Freeman spinoff. Dwayne Johnson's going to be Black Adam. And here's Megan Good as Ms. Marvel or whatever. Yeah, I honestly sure. expected that. But They're holding themselves back and... And good. Yeah. I'm pleased. I think, I think they're growing as people. I mean, I'm happy about a sequel. I'm happy. MVP has to go to the kid from it. I never know his name. Jack, Jack Dylan, Dylan, Dylan Grazer. That's the one. My Fred Savage, man. Yeah. He is. He's the new Fred Savage. Yeah, he really he is. Have you ever seen Me, Myself and I? No. I, oh. Yeah, it's on my list. I mean, it, it's list. fluff, but it's it's really likable, engaging fluff. fluff. Jack Dylan Glazer is the kid version. Bobby Moynihan is the 40-something version. Mm. John Larroquette is the pension age version. And every episode is literally the same person in three different time periods. And it's like a comedy. Nice. Like a, a romantic comedy kind of thing. It's brilliant. Like, he tries romancing the same girl three different times in his life. Aww. And it was really likable because Jack Dylan Glazer has bona fide charisma. He does. You know who doesn't have charisma? strangely who Asher Angel uh, yeah who plays the main character in I this I have to say my only gripe with Shazam was that I struggled to believe that Asher Angel and Zachary Levi were the same person <laughs> at I times because one of them you were interested in seeing and yes. you didn't give a toss about when they were on yeah, screen exactly. yeah exactly for the five minutes they were on screen because well, yeah, exactly. god forbid that that main character actually gets something in the right way of screen time <laughs> but uh, yeah and also I'm sorry but that they, they, they do a big drop at the end of this they do um, they do a big drop with a bunch your of characters your face was an absolute picture in that moment it, it was because I'm, I'm wholeheartedly in love with someone who was in that moment <laughs> and uh, just I know because you whispered their name to me so loudly <laughs> that was that was ecstasy that's what that was it was that was that was absolute gratification and ecstasy it was lovely it was, it was a wonderful moment it was I don't, I don't I've never felt genuine human love during a DC movie <laughs> but I did in that moment so uh, I will just say co-star of the movie Waste Deep if you if you really want to get into it and if anyone knows that they're a nerd and they deserve to know it but eh and that's this week's top five with the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen. The Movie Marker radio show and podcast. 
And with that, Ms. Needham. So, more reviews. Uh, where should we go? talk about a very, very long film name. A very, very long film name. Is it Doctor Strange Love or How I, love, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb? It is. How no. did you know? No. <laughs> it's The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot. Can't wait. I've been looking forward to talking about The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot. And what did he do in the film? What did he do? Well, funnily enough, he killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot. That is literally the movie. <laughs> I like it. Keep it simple. Yeah, they're not really messing about with that one, are they? <laughs> <laughs> So this stars Sam Elliott. It stars Aidan Turner. It stars Larry Miller, aka the dad from Ten Things I Hate About You. You know, oh. this ain't Dawson and the River Kids sleeping in each other's beds. Him. Um, <laughs> this is. I'll be. I'll be really upfront about this. I thought this was actually kind of wonderful. This was a lovely ninety-eight minute film that I just. Oh. I, I was really charmed by. It is the feature directorial debut of uh, Robert Krakowski. He's done a couple shorts, I think, but this is his first film. But it's set, I think, in the late seventies. It's quite non specific but it seems to be about the late 70s small town america you know, uh-huh. kind of thing and uh, it stars sam elliott as sort of a brooding you know retired soldier who just has flashbacks to the dark and depraved things he's had to do for king and country kind of thing sure. and uh, at one point back when he looked like aiden turner which is actually a thing in this aiden it's turner's so the younger ridiculous version, uh he killed hitler he killed. In fact, he killed the original Hitler because it turned out that the reason that Hitler had that haircut and that beard—it was a costume, the, the, the mustache and the hair—it was, oh. was a costume, All so right. they could keep replacing him. So basically, the Nazi Party lost Hitler fairly early on because Sam Elliott killed him back when he was Aidan Turner, and they just kept having stand-ins play the part. So because- it's like Cher. It's kind. Of, it's, it's basically. It's it's, it's like. Uh, well, Avril Lavigne. It's like Elton John. We all know Elton John died years ago. And that's just an actor. Like, because the real Elton John would not have done Kingsman: The Golden Circle. Anyway, he should not have. He should not have. But it's uh, it's like Alan Frank always tells me. Uh, Michael Caine died in 1948, but nobody remembers to tell him. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. Um, so that's the thing. He, he killed. He killed Hitler, and he's you know he's he's always lived with a certain level of torment over mm. the lives he took in the war. Okay. And then the U.S. government come to him one day and say, "Hey, we've got this wild creature on the loose, and it's spreading a deadly pathogen. It's coming down from Canada into the U.S. We need you to go and kill it because you're the guy we know can kill anything. That thing is Bigfoot." Here's a clip. My grandfather used to tell me stories all about this one soldier. As he got older, the stories got stranger. Some I believed, others I don't know. But it wasn't describing a man. Wallet, keys. It was more like something mythic, legendary. You didn't pull any swords from any stones, did you? But you might have done something. Something bigger, maybe. It is exactly as ridiculous as it sounds on the tin. Yeah. It's up there with something like Bubba Hotep. Oh. For me. So, so very much in that wheelhouse, in, okay. in the, the Bruce Campbell's, you know, yeah, yeah. Elvis in a retirement home sort of level of insanity. And yet it is played completely straight as a brilliant character drama. I thought it was great. I really did. I uh, it, it's not it's not going to win over absolutely everyone. You, you can I think you have to be mentally in the right place for it. Mm-hmm. But if you are, if you're going into a movie called The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then The Bigfoot, starring Sam Elliott, I mean, 
You're going to have to psychologically be prepared for a certain film just on that remit alone. Well, yeah, I'd say so. And for me, <laughs> that really nuts. good. And Robert Krakowski, I think, did a really good job with this. I mean, he's written, he's directed it. I mean, I, it's certainly a stronger script than it is a film. I, I can't right. deny that. I mean, is this like is it a book or is this just they wrote this? They to just film they it? just wrote it. They mm. just they just hey, what are we going to do for a movie? Eh, Hitler and Bigfoot. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> So we're pushed for time. Shall we move straight on to our next film, which is, I believe, Jonah Hill's directorial debut as well? It's, it's back to an excellent era. Let's, mm. let's talk about the mid nineties. So it's funny you say that because actually I went into this like from the beginning on sort of the pop culture level, like the TNT bedsheets and NBA Jam posters and the Nada Surf remix of Pixie's Wave of Mutilation and things like that. It, it is very rooted in the mid nineties, hence the clever title. But it stars uh, <clears throat> Sonny Soljic as a sort of stand-in for Jonah Hill. So the idea is that Jonah Hill has experienced this point in his life, mm-hmm. but not quite the same. And the kid is in abject poverty, for instance, and you know relative poverty single parent kind of right. and uh, you know, the idea is it's sort of a coming of age tale that it's generic enough that Jonah Hill has managed to basically transplant it into the mid 90s world of LA skateboarding nice but yeah uh, funnily enough when you see the kid and Jonah Hill together they, they do kind of look like that's what you grow up into kid like watch out and is Jonah Hill in this thing or not in it mean in general doesn't appear right. he is he's the writer he's yeah. the director he's, he's his baby right and, I mean, we shouldn't be terribly surprised that Jonah Hill's actually turned out to be a brilliant filmmaker because he seems to do this a lot. No one thought he was a good writer either, and it turned out he's really good. Um, so I say, it is the story of Sonny Soljic's character, Stevie, young kid, single-parent family. He has one older brother played by Lucas Hedges. Nice. Who is, because if it's a vaguely buzzy, awards-caliber movie, of course Lucas Hedges is in it. Oh, I don't expect nothing less. It's just his requirement. I, yeah. I feel like Lucas Hedges' uh, agent calls him up and says, hey, i got a project for you. Oh, is it as a wars caliber? No? Oh, sod off then. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I feel like that's how Lucas Hedges picks roles. Anyway. Um, Gotta have a method. And the idea is that Stevie's kind of a no-friends, outcast type. He's basically any average, like, 14-year-old kid in 95. Yeah. I mean, 95, I was 12 years old, so I relate hard to that. I'm pretty easy lay. You were for the, 47 uh, and you know it. Yeah, I was only 47 in 1995. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so the whole thing is that uh, he falls in with... This is that story of the, the outcast kid who falls in with a new group of friends. Ah. And that group of friends teach him about the world and open his eyes and basically make him, you know, help him discover himself, etc. They just happen to be a crop of skateboarders. Now, we haven't got a clip for this. For one specific reason. Uh-huh. You cannot find a clip that is not littered with profanity. Nice. And I mean that up to and including the name of one of the characters. Oh, wow. Which is not one curse, but two. Oh, wow. So, Infant yeah, it's Infant Bleep Bleep. Pound. His name is Bleep Bleep. Lars von Bleep Bleep. Lars von Bleep Bleep, yeah. Hoyt van Bleep Bleep. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it works. So, um, I will say, I think it's. I thought this was tremendous. I, I thought it had... A really great sense of volatility and rage and aggression underneath the surface Mm. in the way that, yes, it is a sort of Wonder Years coming-of-age type tale but adjusted for cultural inflation, Mm -hmm. but it does have just an absolute sense of anger boiling under the surface. It's really good. It's arguably quite plotless. 
you can yeah. you can make that argument with it that like you can very easily watch this come away and say nothing happened in that movie. It's just a kid being a kid. It's a kid being a kid. But yeah. you know what? Boyhood exists. So you know what? You can do one with that. Yeah. You're going to give that Oscars. You can take this. Sometimes it works. And yeah, I I, I thought Sonny Soldier was absolutely tremendous in this. Mm-hmm. I think it's the best thing I've ever seen Catherine Waterston in. Oh like, wow! Ever. I do not like Catherine Watson. I find her something of a blip on the cinematic spectrum, but mm-hmm. I thought she was great in this. Lucas Hedges is not so much doing something different as he is expanding his role in Benny's back. Mm. Uh, but yeah, but it's the supporting cast. It's the cast of Skateboards. Now, I don't know the, the names of these actors. So it's Olan Prenitz, uh, uh, Gio Galicia, uh, Ryder McLaughlin, and Nikel Smith, particularly Nikel Smith. I thought really, really great casting, really great performances. I just, I fell in love with this film. This was, uh, this won me over hard. Didn't expect an awful lot from it. And in in the run up to seeing it, I've in my mind interchanged it a lot with eighth grade. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Which is weird because that's like set in the present day and is about a girl, and this is nineties and boy. But it's in that same way. Different. It's in the way that you would <laughs> confuse Cameron Post and Boy Erased. Ah, okay. You know what I mean? Like, those came around at the same time, deal with similar issues. This is very much the same kind of thing in that, but... Like, No Strings Attached and Friends with Benefits. That's actually more deliberate. (laughs) That actually was deliberate. That's Because that actually, I think, shares a writer at one stage. Did it? That did. That's that actually more shameful. I'll tell you a worse story about screenplay theft in the podcast extras if Ooh, you like. Ooh, in. And it's coming to National Geographic in the next few weeks. Oh. And involves Ridley Scott. I'm intrigued. But, yeah, so mid-90s is absolutely worth checking out. I thought this was tremendous. It is an A24 film. Uh, so, you know, A24 make a very distinct style of horror film, usually. Oh, things like It Follows. Yes. Uh, they've, they've purchased this, and they, they purchased this after the fact. It does feel like it belongs in the wheelhouse of A24. Okay. But I really like the style that Jonah Hill's applied to it. I like his insight, his visual, and the way that he has tackled this particular story. Mm-hmm. I think the avenues it goes down, the stuff in there that just, just had me howling with laughter i was sat in the back row of a screen in soho in soho screening rooms and i was sat next to i think tim roby and uh, ed potton and uh, so we we and the three of us i think we're, we're relatively of about equal age uh-huh. and i and we just sat there just laughing our asses off at some of the stuff in this and just like fist to the mouth mouth ooh, kind of <laughs> moments and we became T-S-M-F-A from Get Out. You know, right. we became that yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. Um, T-S-A. That character, like, as we're watching this, it was it was a great experience. I know, obviously, for, for the reasons, obviously, that I was kind of a similar age at that point. Yeah. I, again, like I say, I'm an easy lay for that. I, that. I accept that. But I think the film is great. I think the film is really solid. And actually, the skateboarding element of it and the way that it structures sort of a brotherhood coming of age tale did, uh, for me, take away a lot of the bad aftertaste of Minding the Gap that was out a few weeks ago, which was the documentary skateboarding thing that wound up uh... sort of admonishing the dude who clearly smacked his girlfriend around and was a sociopath. Yeah. But that one, you know, that one that uh, got nominated for an Oscar, that one, oh, yeah, while this got one. ignored. Just, just, just a reminder, Oscars ain't everything. But, uh, eh, what are you going to do? With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The Movie Marker Radio Show and Podcast. 
one last ride, Ms. Needham. Let's make it a good one. Oh my god, I'm going to call you Mrs. Colson, aren't I, in a month's time? You are. That's true. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, I can adjust. I can adjust. <laughs> you know, I'm flexible. Anyway, so uh, one last film for the week. Tell me about, and I hate the title of this film, I don't know why, yeah. but tell me about Little. Right. It's called Little for a specific reason because I think it's it, like big. No, I think actually, the, the, from, from the impression I get from the film, I think it is actually a part of African American vernacular that you grown and you little is something that comes up a lot within the film. Is it like on uh, one of the recent Queer Eye episodes where mm. there's the two adorable sisters who have the barbecue joint and their nicknames are Shorty and Little? <laughs> like that. Kind of like that. So the idea is, this begins, stop me if you've heard this one before, because I think we've all seen Central Intelligence at this point. <laughs> a, you know, a teenager being, you know, in a period piece setting, in a period setting, being like tormented at school yeah. and grows up to become the Adonis version of themselves. Sure. In this case, Marci Martin from Blackish. Uh, Diane ah, from Blackish yeah, yeah. grows up to become Regina Hall from the scary movie movies, except sort of very glam and sexified, and she's had a blowout, as we are told six or seven times in this movie. And that doesn't mean what you think it means, Van. Apparently it doesn't. <laughs> I have no idea what it means. I'm just told over and over she had a blowout. Anyway, and she's not a nice person. So she was bullied in school for her yeah. intellect. Basically, mm-hmm. she was a child genius. Mm-hmm. And the idea was she was it was bullied for it. She was, you know, because that that you know, the, one of those kids who just can't let people be, just yeah. has to prod everyone for no reason kind of thing. That happened and her parents tell her when you when you don't worry about it when you grow up you'll be the boss and nobody bullies the boss so she literally says no you're right the boss can bully them so what do you think happens when she grown she's a very empathetic person Mm. if you've seen the trailer you know how this goes so she wakes up one morning having been cursed by a little girl with a magic wand and told i wish you were little boo because she sarcastically calls her boo. It's a nice mm. moment, actually. She wakes up one morning, this multi-millionaire tech mogul woman, mm-hmm. in her own 13-year-old body. So 13 going on 30, literally in reverse. Yeah. Here's a clip. Any parent or guardian of a child during the ages of mandatory attendance shall send such child to public school, private school, or a homeschooling program. Say what now? Say what now is enroll this child in school or somebody is going to jail. That's what now. Say what by somebody, do you mean you? That would be you. Now, enroll her there today, and I will be checking that you do so. No. <clears throat> Look here, lady. I am a businesswoman, and I have a company to run. She sells Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> she just takes it really seriously. I'm like. So I don't have time for child services, and I sure don't have time for school, okay? Let me be clear. I will have you in foster care and your goofy aunt over here in jail if you don't. Oh, crrr. Did I hear Rachel Dratch? You did hear Rachel Dratch. Funny thing. Funny (laughs) thing about Rachel Dratch in there. Um, Rachel Dratch appears dressed like a maniac. That's Rachel Dratch. Right. No, 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 that's not. That's just every person in this movie. For some reason that is never explained. It's acknowledged, but it's never explained. Everybody dresses like a sociopath. <laughs> there is a moment in this movie when she's obviously in her little form, in, yeah. in, in her 13-year-old body, in which she's in her own company. She's, like, visiting her assistant, Issa Rae, you heard in the clip. Uh-huh. Uh, Issa Rae from Awkward, I think it is. And uh, and, and Widows. And uh, someone joking, so this is in the trailer, joking, says, like, oh, who let the little girl in the pink pantsuit in here? And you start thinking, oh, that's odd, is it? The pink <laughs> pantsuit is odd, is it? 
Nothing else that anyone wears in this movie is out of the ordinary. We comment on it all the time, but that's odd. Okay, fair enough. If you can go along with that sort of a logic, Mm -hmm. this is a good movie. This is a perfectly good time. I mean, it's not a good movie. It's a pretty terrible movie. But it's a good time. It is. It's it's the Hellboy equation again, where you know you're watching a dumpster fire. But it's actually pretty fun. And sometimes you need a dumpster fire. Well, I mean, sometimes sometimes you just want to toast marshmallows over a dumpster fire. And that's literally what this is. Uh, You know, it's fun. There's there's obviously stuff that's been sort of chopped out of it. You can can see. You can see the lingering scissor marks every now and again. There's there's a bit with Justin Hartley from This Is Us, who I think of still to this day as The Green Arrow, um, as her teacher. And uh-huh. you'll you'll seen this bit in the trailer in which she's actually sent to a school and she gets the yes. sexified sex object, you know, yes. buff hunk of a teacher, and it's it's the Green Arrow from Smallville, <laughs> and, and and he's you know he's a because I don't know about you, but my teachers didn't go to work in jeans and a nice cashmere sweater, not generally, no. not generally, more of a chignon bun and a kilt. Yeah, I mean, I went to school in the nineties, so pretty much everyone just dressed like Lisa Loeb, but. <laughs> You know, oh, Miss Williams and physics, my favourite lesson. Anyway. You digress. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know the best part? Her first name was Robin. But nice. <laughs> yeah, I literally had a physics teacher named Robin Williams. Nice. And she was a smoke show. Looked like Samantha Mathis. Anyway. Um, moving on. Moving on, because I'm really keeping this 90s, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> so, which is also, I think, when she was a kid in, in Little. Actually, I think that was like 88 or 90 or something. But uh, the stuff like that where you get the teacher, where you can tell that there's a lot been removed. Right. And uh, they have the whole thing where you know, it's a little girl like hitting on an adult yeah. man and he has to just diffuse the situation. And it's dealt with quite well, but you do feel like there's a lot of stuff that came after that that they've just removed. Sure. Um, my thing with it, I, I do come away from it. I do sit and think maybe this is, I have an issue, I think, that has to do with media exposure, which is I've watched half a decade of Blackish. Mm-hmm. I know that Marcy Martin is this person. Yes. Right, from junkets, from interviews, from the existence of half a decade of, of Blackish, I know that that just is Marcy Martin. Uh-huh. She is now officially the youngest producer in, in the history of Hollywood. Oh, wow. At 14. Oh, she has produced this movie. And she was on the Daily Show, I think, talking about last week as well. And you do watch, for instance, the interview on the Daily Show, and you just think you just are this person, aren't you? This you are Diane, and you are this character from Little. Yeah, that's just you. And I love the fact that this youngest ever producer in Hollywood has basically launched a vehicle for herself. Well, so it's you a vehicle. When you're a badass. Yeah, it's a vehicle that sells her just being herself, which it turns out is just kind of a smart ass. <laughs> Fine. Loved it. Oh, She's wow. great fun. Uh, there's uh, Tone Bell I had a lot of fun with as well, who's sort of the, uh, I'm just going to say friend with benefits as the polite version. Nice. Who keeps breaking into this apartment that only a little girl is living in. Creepy. And it comes close to being hilariously inappropriate, but they nicely diffuse that as well. Uh, Issa Rae uh, as, as the put-upon assistant. Very fun. I mean, it's like, say, it's a garbage movie. It's one of those movies where the put-upon assistant, like Devil Wears Prada-style assistant, mm-hmm. lives in an apartment the size of an aircraft hangar. Yeah, of course. You know, you or I would murder someone to live in an apartment that size. But the downtrodden assistant just has that as standard. We you know, to. that kind of a movie. But I had fun with it. I thought, actually, the jokes work. You know, the atmosphere, the, the, the tone of it, it lands. It doesn't make a lick of sense if you stop and look at it. But it's a body swap movie. 
why would it? You know, it's it's vice versa. It's it's thirteen going on thirty. It's a re- literally a reverse big. Yeah. In the style of what men want, which hilariously starred Taraji P Henson, and there's a gag in this about Cookie from Empire, but let's not go there. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I just had a good time. In fact, it has the security guard from Good Girls in it as uh. well. And the minute I saw, it, with my pad right now, oh, it's the security guard from Good Girls! Yay! <laughs> you know? But I liked it. I liked it very much. I had a good time with it. Uh, would I watch it again? Probably, to be honest. When it, if, if it's on Sky Cinema, if it's on Netflix, yeah, I'd watch it. I I, I can imagine it going on Netflix. Yeah, I can absolutely. That. I think you'd watch it, you'd like it, and it's it's a film that works in that way, in that way that something kind of like the house. It has that house bunny thing yeah. going for it. You know, guilty like I know movie. this is trash, yeah, but yeah. I like it. Like you say, guilty pleasure. Because you got me onto House Bunny. I did. uh, You're welcome. Yeah. yeah, I thank you over and over. I do do love me. I love it. (laughs) Canine. Seriously, every time someone tells me their name, I do that in my head. That's how you remember it. Exactly. Is it your film of the week? Is it my film of the week? Little is... I don't know, to be really honest. I think... I'm surprised you're considering that. Academically, (laughs) mid-90s is the film of the week. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, mid-90s is the best movie out this week. Like, on a score sheet, you're going through this, you're breaking it down, like, chemically. You are breaking this down to its constituent parts. Mid-90s is film of the week. However... I had a bloody good time with Hellboy. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a bloody good time with uh, with Little as well. So, you know what? You, I think you're it's fine a trifecta. this week. There's, there's not a stinker out this week. I, I will sure. say that. I don't, it I don't doesn't seem think, like it now. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we've got a real stinker on our hands this week. However, if you can see The Man Who Killed Hitler and then Bigfoot, please absolutely do. Because <laughs> nice. it's just, just damn good. It really is. But, uh, you know, that's, that, that's it. I mean, I... I Take any of the three, really. Take, take any. Take go. mid-90s Hellboy Little. Have a triple weekend. Go to the cinema. Go exactly, to the cinema do, a lot. Yeah. So, next week, we've got some interesting stuff. What's coming up? And we've got some less interesting stuff. And got some middling interesting stuff. All right. So, next week, Dragged Across Concrete. Oh, is this uh, Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson, Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn? Yeah. Writer-director of Bone Tomahawk. And sure. Brawl in Cell Block 99. Yeah. Right. I have seen this. Explain Vince Vaughn. It's three hours. It's, is it two and a half or three hours long? I can't oh, remember. Oh, I'm out. Yeah. Uh, we've also got Greta, which is basically single white female with Isabelle Huppert and Chloe Moretz. But oh, not okay. in the order, you think. Mm. We've also got Let There Be Light, which is a religious movie starring Kevin Sorbo. I'm all right, thanks. I can't wait for that. <laughs> I love me a, a pro-God drama with Kevin Sorbo. The last one turned out amazing. Jeez. And spawned two sequels. Oh, yeah, so it did. Yeah, it did. Ugh, what else is that? Uh, Lauro, which what is Paolo this? Sorrentino's movie about Bella Sconey. You know, okay. he of the Bunga Bunga Party fame. Sure. That's next week. All right. Uh, Jess Ennis reviewed it for Movie Marker for us mm-hmm. this week. And uh, I, I hadn't even watched the trailer. And I had to, I, I literally had to edit the review. And she sent it to me. I'm like, oh my God, i got to see this movie. I've really got, this sounds awesome. Okay. But uh, we've also got uh, Once Upon a Time in London, which shockingly does not star Craig Fairbrass. Uh, we've got Puppet Master, 
the littlest Mike. You remember Puppet Master? Yes. Yeah, Puppet Master, coincidentally, written by S. Craig Zala, writer-director of Dragged Across Concrete. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, next week's a bit of a dumping ground. The next two weeks are effectively dumping grounds. That's because they're getting out of the way. Because I don't know if you know, but there's this little indie film that Disney have put out. No one's heard of it, Yeah, no no one's heard of it. Move on. I haven't spent obscene amounts of money on indie film merchandise at all. Mm -hmm. No, no. Uh, Red Joan is next week. Who's she? Uh, uh, Red Joan. Red Joan be Judy Dench. Oh. And she's starring with, get this, Sophie Cookson. Do you know Sophie Cookson? No. Of course you don't. Nobody knows Sophie Cookson. Sophie Cookson's a female lead in the Kingsman movies. Remember her? Oh. But she didn't get any recognition because nobody cared about the female lead in the Kingsman movies. That's why they killed her off. That's Spoiler. why they killed her off nonchalantly in the second one. Steel Country, a drama starring Andrew Scott. Okay. Who was odd something of a buzzy streak recently because he was in that TV show with the lady, remember? No. No? Never heard back, Which I think is very good, but I think people go a bit nuts. They do. They they go a bit nuts. Too much. And wheelie. Wheelie? Wheelie. I know, wheelie. Wheelie? Wheelie. (laughs) I really, really mean it. (laughs) Wheelie. So, wheelie, which looks kind of like a cheap knockoff of cars. Yeah. Made by a sort of no-name animation studio. And, yeah, mm, we'll see you on that one. Yeah, Yeah. rather you than me. Anyway, all those to come and more next week off screen. Stick around the podcast extras for a review of Deal with the Universe, mm-hmm. uh, Moment of Cage, and some more film news. In fact, all the film news because we've done like next to none in the show this we're week. We're too chatty. Chatty Cathy's. We, we, we are chatty. But uh, yeah, so in the meanwhile, this is the Candy Store production for Movie Marker. I've been Van Connor. I've been Lars Von Lars Lars. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more movie news, reviews and more, visit moviemarker.co.uk. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Podcast extras, Ms. Needham. So guess Let's what? do we, it. We can, we can smoke during this one. That's great. Okay, cool. Nice. <laughs> nice. Okay, mm. so uh, let's have a cycle through the news. We're going to have to review Deal With The Universe in a minute as well. Sure. That's what I want to tell you. You know Little, right? Yeah. The weirdest thing. It wasn't Little, was it? It was... Uh, what film was it this week that's written by... Uh, <laughs> Wonder Park, that's it. Oh. Wonder Park. Uh-huh. Right. You're gonna, this is going to blow your mind. Wonder Park uh-huh. is written by... <laughs> I feel silly even saying this. It's written by Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec. Right? Those are the two credited screenwriters uh-huh. of uh, on Wonder Park. Now, if you ever want an exercise in sheer hilarity... Always. Consider that moment. They have written Wonder Park. Yeah. Go through the things that those two have written together over the years. What kind of things? And I'm going to do these. I'll go back as far as I can. And All I'll, right. And I'll, I'll bring them up from there. So, okay. Things Josh Applebaum, Marvage, and Andre Nemec wrote. Fast Lane, a TV series that I base a substantially terrifying amount of my life on. Uh, Alias, oh. as well. Yeah, so they come from a very specific school of filmmaking, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Uh, the American version of Life on Mars. Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. What? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. Zoo and Wonder Park. They are currently what? at work on the TV series adaptation of High Fucking Fidelity. Who are these people? I know, right? <laughs> Who are they? Hang on, that, oh, hang on. No, that's them producing... Sorry, no, no, I'm wrong. That's them producing. Let's go through writing. It is it crazier? Oh, even more bonkers. Right. <laughs> Martial law. If you remember that, it's hilarious. 
It was basically Rush Hour as a TV show before Rush Hour existed. Okay. Profiler. Remember Profiler? No. Ali Walker was a serial killer profiler in what would arguably become remixed as Criminal Minds years later. Oh, okay. Excellent. Early edition. What's that? That starred, I think, was it Ron Livingston? It was like Quantum Leap. Every morning, this dude would get a, would get the following day's newspaper delivered to his door, and he would try and change someone's life in the way that Quantum Leap does. Anyway, uh, fast lane alien. So they're trendsetters, you mean? Trendsetters. So right. Also, the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was not there. So they're both Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I wouldn't show off about that. No, no. And <laughs> two movies that have yet to be released. Uh-huh. And I swear to God, I'm not making this up. All right. I'm thinking Wonder Park. What's it going to be? G.I. Joe Ever Vigilant. What? And Beverly Hills Cop 4. I... What? I shit you not. Yep. Why did they do Wonder... Oh, all right. No, fine. Fine. I have no explanation. No, but look at the John Oliver thing. You know, with Wonder Park, like, why is John Oliver in that movie? And you think, mm. okay, his kid's four years old now, so maybe that's why. Because it's secretly dark as hell. <laughs> that's why. It is secretly dark as hell. Right, on to the news. On to the news, moving on. Do you know, this week, Disney suddenly realised that they hadn't noticed they had bought an entire movie studio in Australia. Oh. That, that's, and that's absolutely true. Disney, without seemingly registering it to themselves, uh-huh. bought a movie studio in Australia. That movie studio was Fox Studios. Huh. Yeah. 20th Century Fox, once upon a time, went and built a goddamn movie studio in Australia. We know this because they went and filmed Star Wars movies there at one point. Oh. Yeah. Well, it turns out that Marvel have something of a track record with Australia, having gone and filmed Thor Ragnarok there. You know, because dot, 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 Chris Hemsworth. Because Chris Hemsworth, but also stop and think for a second about the cast and of Thor Ragnarok. I can never say his name. Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. I was, I was say Tika. <laughs> Taika Waititi and uh, uh, Kate Blanchett as well. Oh yeah. Oh, I always forget. Three of that cast are from there. Produces so, some good folks. Yeah, I mean, frankly, the fact that Margot Robbie doesn't show it up in it, I think, is mystifying. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know. but thank God she doesn't. Uh, thank, I know, I know, I know. But uh, so they've, they've got this movie studio, and what, what are you going to do? You Disney? You got this movie studio? It's in a tax-friendly country that give really good tax breaks to movies. Mm-hmm. You know, we went through a phase, uh, I think, about a decade ago now, where we had a lot of movies, a lot of big Hollywood movies, being filmed in Australia for this exact reason. You've got to give an incentive. Ooh. So Disney have decided, you know what? That Marvel movie we did in Australia, that turned out all right, didn't it? Yeah, it was, it was all right. It was all right. People like it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, enough people have pissed and moaned that that didn't get nominated for an Oscar, but Infinity War did. Uh, I think that's a fair whinge. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> thought, Infinity War's great. Thor Ragnarok could seriously be the best Marvel Thor movie. Thor Ragnarok is the best Marvel movie. <laughs> I will hear nothing else. It is. Piss off, ghost. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is the best. You know the best part. My uh, my favorite moment, my very favorite moment in Thor Ragnarok. Uh-huh. No one ever acknowledges what, and I think it's hilarious because it's been built up for eight years. In fact, at that point, I think it was five years. What is it? Which is that moment when in the gladiator ring when Thor when Thor just gets properly messed up by the mm. Hulk, which is just grabbed by the uncle, uh, by the ankle, uncle, by the ankle, and <laughs> smashed against the ground. Yeah. And Tom Hiddleston, and you just know he improved it, just shoots up and goes, yes, that's how that feels. <laughs> that is my favourite moment in Thor Ragnarok. 
and nobody oh. ever acknowledges it. And I it think that's a good quite... moment. But there's so many yeah. good moments. Like I know him from work. Get help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not doing get. Help. I'm not doing get help. Right. You know when they bring Loki back from the dead at the end of uh, Endgame, they They're goddamn better. better do a reference to that. <laughs> they better do a oh did you do get help kind of a moment yeah, in yeah. there. It's, it's got to happen. They got to bring it back. <laughs> so um, Ryan Coogler, remember him? I do. Ryan Coogler, of course, brought us the tremendous Creed. He brought us a little independent film called uh, African American Cat. Oh, yeah, that's the yes. one. Yeah. That would have made some money for uh, that, that studio that owns Pixar. That's anyway. Um, studio. And he has... Uh, he's, he's the producer, you see, on an upcoming long-awaited studio. And it is long-awaited. Studio-awaited. Uh, I'm not sure sequel. how I feel about it. Really? About the whole thing. Really? But- we, we should just tell people we are talking about Space Jam. We're talking about Space Jam. Come on, guys. We're talking about Space Catch Jam too. Up. Or Two Pace Jam, as they Do you know the it. only reason that I'm actually still excited about it? Because I Why? don't think like, oh, I love Space Jam, leave it alone. LeBron James, when he was in Trainwreck. Trainwreck. I know, right? He was so good, wasn't he? He was so good in that. Also, I mean, you know who's playing his wife, don't you? No. It's uh, Sonequa Martin-Green from Star Trek Discovery, the main main actress from oh, the well, lead from Star Trek Discovery. And um, I've got all the time in the world for that. I do kind of think, though, like, kids these days, tell me if I'm wrong, hmm. I feel like kids these days will go, who's Bugs Bunny? <laughs> Don't yes. you think? Yeah, I do feel like that. A couple of years ago, I think it was it was when I first started reviewing movies, it was about 2011, thereabouts. I think in the year leading up to that, Warner hmm. Brothers started the process of uh, short films for Looney Tunes characters. Oh. Do you remember this? It was round oh. about the time of the advent of 3D. It was after 3D, after Avatar made 3D a thing. Yeah. Warner Brothers put a sequence of short 3D animated films mm. featuring the Looney Tunes characters. Now, I own all these films to this day. Of course you do. Uh, because my favourite is the uh, the Roadrunner one. My favourite Warner Brothers, my favourite Looney Tunes character has always been the Roadrunner. Classic. But uh, it's about a guy trying to kill something with tech. Of course, that's my favourite Looney Tunes. I think tech is probably, you know, a bit <laughs> well, generous, but, you know. It's generous, but it's arguably sure. what happened. Sure. And they did these, they were only like three, four minute short films. Mm-hmm. The first one I ever saw involved Sylvester and Tweety, I think it was a musical. And there's a, there's a few of these out there. sweet. But I do remember when those launched, thinking to myself, surely kids these days just have no idea. They don't what any of this is if you put Pepe Le Pew on a cinema screen nobody has a goddamn clue who they that don't even is. know who the Animaniacs are well exactly well Animaniacs is coming back so mm, you know, watch the space we're going to watch that because I think Spielberg's making that for uh, Netflix Spielberg I believe yeah He's, he was the producer of Animaniacs did you no. not know that? did you not know that I did not know that Steven Spielberg executive produced the Animaniacs that was his whole thing what yeah but let's not mince over the irony that Steven Spielberg is producing something for, for fucking Netflix, Netflix. You know, while he's going and sucking Apple's dick. Yeah. Anyway. But, uh... We digress again. We digress. So, Ryan Coogler has apparently taken it upon himself to rewrite the entire script for Space Jam 2. I think that's quite exciting. This news also arrives with the caveat that apparently LeBron James is having significant trouble getting co-stars for Space Jam. Ah. So, what was the defining thing on the human side? After Bill Murray and Michael Jordan... What was the defining thing about Space Jam? That they got all those players that the aliens took over? Exactly (laughs) that. And apparently, modern basketball players are not being helpful with it. Mm. They are apparently not 
Because they've not probably ball. never heard of Bugs Bunny. <laughs> well, see, they're all too young now to know about <laughs> Space Jam. Well, Space Jam? That dude Uncle Mike started? That yeah. thing? Like, when I was a kid? They Fuck probably, no! They probably also saw how mm. terrible acting all of those basketball players were, including oh, Michael Jordan. Jordan was atrocious. And we're like, do you know what? We're, oh. we're also terrible actors. That's why we play basketball. Also, I don't think anyone's putting Kobe in a movie anytime yeah. soon. Is Kobe even still playing? I don't know. I don't know. But I, don't know. I remember the original because I was a big Knicks fan at the time. And For I remember sure. they, they got like Pat Ewing and people like that in. And I was, I was, I was just really big into it. But I love Space Jam. I need to rewatch Space Jam. I, I'm, I, I do need to rewatch, but I've not seen Space Jam since it came out. I mean, Space Jam came out what? so long ago. So long ago, we had a goddamn Warner Brothers store in Meadow Hall at the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, Remember I that? loved that store. Remember that? I, I used to my... go in the rocket ship. And... Did you buy the oversized Friends coffee mug? Of course. Of course you did. I did. Everybody I did. did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's just what you did with the Warner Brothers store. That's and I remember, I would love it if that, if that existed now. I know. Can you imagine all the DC shit you could buy? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I remember they had some, maybe like, Shazam stuff. They had like Batman the animated series stuff, if I remember correctly, way back when. You remember like pointy chin DC, oh, DC yeah, AU yeah. Batman? Yeah, back when it was an AU, not an EU. But uh, oh well. Anyway, so Space Jam's a thing. It's so got a good writer. Yeah. Can we talk about the most recent wonderful trailer that came out yeah. that has caused a bit of controversy? And I totally get it. Okay, The Lion King. Right, how has it caused controversy? I'm not sure about this. Because Scar looks a mess. Honestly, really? people are angry, and I get it. Because Scar, you know, he's a baddie or whatever, but he is still kind of this cool-looking lion. They've just turned him into the rattiest-looking lion you'll ever Look, come across. I'm sorry, but I have something of the Bohemian Rhapsody problem with the Lion King. Go on. And it's not the Lion King's fault. Right, it's not like Bohemian it's Rhapsody. It's not your fault, Lion King. Bohemian Rhapsody was all its own fault, right? It was Brian May's fault. Yes, Brian May and Bri- anyone named Brian was a dick to that movie. We basically. don't talk about the other. We Brian. don't talk about the other one, but anyone named Brian was a dick to Bohemian Rhapsody. That's basically <laughs> how it worked. Um, by the way, remind me, I've got a thing about Spielberg and Netflix in a minute. Um, right. But with Lion King. Let's be really, really honest for a second. Mm-hmm. Were he still alive? There is not a chance on this fucking planet mm. Alan Rickman wouldn't have been Scar. Oh, it's so true. In a heartbeat, Alan it's Rickman so would have been Scar. He would have been the first person they phoned. They would have thrown money at Alan Rickman to get him to be Scar. They would have, and it would have been amazing. <laughs> and it would have been epic, wouldn't it? Would it? Have. Yeah, and there right. would have been many, many people on this earth, my own partner included, just pressing their ear up to the speaker with every line he said, mm. just having a good physical time. It's a shame. It, it, it's it's like Bohemian Rhapsody, when you saw that first trailer, it's like, yeah, it looks fine and everything, but this we know going into this that this is not the best version we could have had. And in the case of Lion King, we, we know it's you, not Sasha. the film's fault. <laughs> we know. We know. No, I know that, but he does look a mess. But however, they're meant to be realistic-looking lions. Mm. So, uh, the thing I didn't get to, by the way, the reason those basketball players won't uh, appear in Space Jam. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's hilarious. We're going back to Space Jam. It's oh, important. Oh, it's hilarious. The Go reason on. he's back. Right. <laughs> right. The Space Jam franchise, as it were. Mm. Right. It, uh, it includes a certain brand attachment. Okay. Yeah. 
That brand attachment is inherited because of Michael Jordan. Oh, okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it happens to involve a very specific tick logo. I wonder what it could be. Yeah. Problem with that is the basketball players they keep approaching all have exclusive marketing contracts. They're not allowed to be associated with other brands. Well, then stop approaching them. Well, no, that's the issue. Pretty much all basketball players (laughs) have exclusive merchandise contracts. So Under Armour, Adidas, brands like that Mm. have specific contracts with uh, 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 people like Stephen Curry, with people like Kevin Durant, uh, where they just can't, they, they can't be associated with anything else. They can't be shot. They can't have a picture shot of them next to a bus advert for another brand. They damn sure can't be in a movie. It's a hard life. Effectively paid for by the rival. Uh, that, that's the reason on that one. It's a hard life. It is a hard not life. Uh, have you seen Titans? Uh, no. Right. Titans, um, I, 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 I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to say something that you, you're not going to expect. Right, Titans is uh, a TV show. It's it's yeah. made for the uh, the new streaming service that uh, DC and Warner Bros have launched. DC Universe. It's Another called. Another one. Mm. Uh, I know. I know. If There's I kept... not room in my three. Mm. No, you've only got room for three. Well, well, that's about, that's the statistical thing, yeah, isn't it? Three. Exactly. Uh, it all, they also run Doom Patrol on this network. They're creating DC based TV shows exclusively for this platform. So Swamp mm-hmm. Thing is coming up. Oh jeez! Uh, oh, who's the female hero that's coming up? Star Girl, I think, is coming up as well. We've got a bunch of these things coming up. Uh-huh. Uh, Doom Patrol and Titans are the two that are currently out there in the world. Right. Both are actually quite good. Oh, Titans is the one where it's Robin. Right? Robin. Yeah. It is literally the one where Robin curb stamps. Where a dude. he's like, "Fuck Batman!" Fuck Batman! He yeah. curb stomps a dude and then said, "Fuck Batman!" Yeah. And he's the kid who's Orlando Bloom's kid in Pirates Nine or whatever. Yes. It is. Yeah, Gods of Egypt. You gods of Egypt. Gods guy. of Egypt. I can yeah. never remember his name. They've cast Bruce Wayne. Oh, Titans. Who is it? Yeah, brace yourself because I don't think any of us saw this casting. Okay, coming. so it's not Gabriel Marked. It's not Gabriel Marked. <laughs> what is wrong with you, Hollywood? Gabriel Marked is just sitting there waiting to be used. Growing older by the day. <laughs> he is as well. He is. Seen suits lately. Still looks hot though. Um, yeah, I mean, he's bangable, I suppose, but, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's past his prime. You ever see him in that, is it uh, Spin City episode where he has the long hair and he's naked? No. Oh, yeah, one of the early Spin All City right, episodes. it's on the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's who watched this. So um, who's Batman? Ian Glenn. Ian Glenn? Sajora Mormont. Ian Glenn. Ian Glenn from Game of Thrones. Back my comment about Gabriel Monk getting on in age. <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> I know, right? He's, so a 57-year-old Scottish actor is Bruce Wayne for uh, for, for uh, Titans. Like, like maybe he's Alfred. Mm. Well, but... having said that, the... Uh, oh, no, hang on. Alfred... No, Alfred hasn't physically been in Titans, but he's been mentioned. I think at one point Robin phones him and asks uh, for, like, an apartment or trip. a car or something. Mm-hmm. He actually does... He gets resources from Alfred because he doesn't talk to Bruce. The whole thing is that Robin and Batman have fallen out. Ah... Uh... And but he, they he, still share a butler. That's They sweet. share a butler. That's sweet. And Robin has a Porsche that he inherited from Bruce Wayne. <laughs> so, that's what you do from your friends. That's what we do, yeah, yeah, of course. But uh, Ian Glenn is not the uh, first person to join the second season of Titans as mm-hmm. well. Uh, they have also got a Superboy. Superboy? Superboy. So what's his name? Cal Kent? I think. I, I, I confuse my mythology, but Cal Kent, I think, is his, is his name. It was... Uh, 
Oh, Connor Kent. Connor Kent is Superboy, sorry. Um, Isai Morales from that uh, Battlestar Galactica prequel series, uh, Caprica. No idea. He's going to be Deathstroke, apparently. And uh, we're going to have Deathstroke's kids as well. So clearly Arrow counts for shit. Okay. Anyway, but yeah, I just just thought that was interesting. I just thought Ian Glenn as Bruce Wayne is the That is very strange. That is the strangest casting I've heard of lately. So there is an actor who has scored a a role in uh, Black Widow. Okay. Uh, You won't know his name. But when you see him, you'll be like, oh, that guy. Okay. He's that guy from that thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. His name is Oti Fagbenny. Oh, from The Handmaid's Tale. You've got that up on your screen. I literally you? have you it on my screen in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had you for a good three seconds. You really did. <laughs> but, I mean, have you taken a look at that cast lately? No, I haven't. Right. So I'm obviously, not that interested. Obviously, ScarJo. You know, obviously. you have that Florence Pugh. Florence well. Pugh? Florence Pugh Pugh. Yeah. Didn't you predict this? Uh-huh. Mm. And Rachel Vice. Rachel Vice. Rachel Vice. Meanwhile, Angelina's joining the Eternals. And while we're on the subject of Marvel, can we just talk about what, for me personally, is the greatest goddamn news in the film world ever? Go on. Kumail's joining Marvel, yo. Is he? Kumail Nanjiani is in talks for Eternals. Nice. Oh my god, that made me I honestly I was so happy when I heard that. It happened as well. The news broke about an hour after the Stuba trailer went online. You know, this movie's done with Batista. No. Kumail, they, they literally aired this trailer on Sunday night uh-huh. in, during the ad break for WrestleMania when Steve, when Dave Batista fought Triple H. Batista retired from the WWE straight after well, the fight. Finally. Because he, because he lost. And, uh, well. Don't forget, Batista... Did something go over his head? Batista is the second highest grossing WWE <laughs> actor. After who? I couldn't possibly think. John Cena. Right, the Hitman Heart. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the John Oliver WWE thing? No. Oh, oh, just YouTube it, honestly. John Oliver went after the WWE. Oh, did it? Oh, okay, now I'm interested. I thought you yeah. were, meant he was doing something no. with them. John Oliver didn't... No, not just the WWE... John Oliver specifically went after Vince McMahon. Well, somebody has to. And he got some serious support from wrestlers. This was in the week running up to yeah, in the week running up to the WWE. He had quite a few wrestlers get in touch through Twitter, etc., expressing their support. Mm. People who weren't so much banner names anymore, obviously, but Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, I won't tell you the, the context of the thing he did. But it, it was it was pretty decent. It, was, right. it was pretty. I need good. to Google that. Then um, WWE responded by inviting John Oliver to WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he actually went or not. I would imagine maybe not because it's on a Sunday night. And he records. I think at does he record at seven or eight p.m. on a Sunday? You're I, I, such a dork. Uh, <laughs> where do you think I was going when I was in New York? <laughs> dork. Anyway. Oh, no, really, I was big on audience shows when I was in New York. <clears throat> but uh, the only thing I didn't do was The Tonight Show, because I can't fucking stand Jimmy Fallon. Who can, Dan? Who can? Jimmy Fallon is the only answer to I that. I don't even think. Look at his eyes. Do you think he looks in the mirror and just says, God, you suck? I think he does, genuinely. Do you remember when the whole joke was that Jimmy Fallon was terrible? Yes. 
The whole joke was that Jimmy Fallon was terrible. <laughs> and he just kept failing upwards. And we just let it happen. Yeah, bless him. I've been on the NBC studio tour. They love Jimmy Fallon. But, no one yeah. else does. So anyway, so, uh, anyway, O.T. Fogbenley has uh, joined uh, a Black Widow. That's, that's the point of that story. <laughs> Can we discuss something a little bit, like, it's funny, it shouldn't be, but it's kind of funny. Okay, what is it? So, remember the woman from Desperate Housewives, Felicity Hoffman? Yes, Felicity she... Hoffman. Is, she's not She's not the one that's currently uh, going down for college. That's the rides. one. Yeah. It just so happens that she did have a comedy coming out on Netflix. you shitting me. What do you think they've done with that? Uh, I would imagine giving it a much bigger marketing budget and, uh, <laughs> and some new trailers. I think the official term is it's been delayed. The yeah, right. Meanwhile, Art Becky's got a goddamn series on there. Well, indeed. But I just thought that was kind of funny. So Can I, I, I'm just going to confess something, by the way, about the whole college admissions scandal thing. Uh-huh. Which is, I'm just... Well, you're also guilty. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> genuinely going genuinely to admit this straight off the bat. Laurie Laughlin. Yeah. Who is, you know, embroiled within the... Mm-hmm. She's clearly going to prison. <laughs> she won't actually go to prison because no one goes to prison for white-collar she's crime. She's white. Yeah, she's, she's white and rich. She's not going yeah, to prison. Rich, white. Um, Laurie Laughlin, to me, in the 1990s, was just the sexiest woman in the universe. And oh. do you know what? I'm not going to lie. Probably still is. She still looks good. She probably... She, she just does. has that Cindy Crawford quality to her. Also, incidentally, once played Black Canary for DC. Oh. Bet you didn't know that, did you? Well, no, I didn't. But to be fair, I don't care for the DC. <laughs> Nobody for cares for the DC universe. DC fans don't care for the DC universe. They just keep fucking lying to us about it. But uh, anyway, back to uh, back to film news. Ken Jong has got a new job. Oh, what's he doing? Is he a doctor again? Hmm. Well, no, he's not a doctor again. He's an actual doctor, isn't he, Ken Jong? That's what I'm saying. Like a, he's an actual MD, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ken Jong and... Uh, <laughs> Kirsty Clemens, who mm-hmm. you might remember from uh, oh the Nick Offerman indie dramedy. What was that called? Do you know, I was trying to remember oh. that the other day with that oh my god, line what was it, it called? Heartbeat Loud? Was it Heartbeat Loud? Was it? I think it was Heartbeat Loud. Hearts, hearts beat loud. I think. I'm not going to be Heartbeat Loud. It was Heartbeat Loud. Yes, yes, it was. Your mind's crazy. My man. my brain works. That's good. Anyway, anyway, what's Ken Jong, Kirsty Clemens from Heartbeat Loud, who I believe is still officially cast to play Iris West in Flashpoint, a movie Warner Brothers are uh, clearly making at some point, uh, despite losing their star and writer and director. Anyway, um, it all that stuff. But Kirsty Clemens, Ken Jong, they have been cast in an animated film. Mm-hmm. It is called Scoob. 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 What's Scoob? Scoob's the animated Scooby-Doo movie, yo. Oh, oh yes. I love me some Scooby-Doo. You know this. I know you do. But, uh, yeah. Ken Jeong is going to play a robot dog named Dynomutt Dog Wonder. Nice. Yes. All right. <laughs> so, sounds good. And uh, Casey Clemens will be Dee uh, Dee Sykes. She's one of Captain Caveman's uh, people. Captain Caveman is going to be in the movie as well apparently oh, for God's sake. um do you know who's playing i mean we've mentioned it once or twice i think this movie is coming out in cinemas may 15th uh next year uh-huh do you know who is playing the mystery inc team no uh i feel like as soon as you say it i do know but mm. no i can't remember shall i go in sort of reverse order of how cool this is yes please right in reverse order frank welker is going to be scoop 
Cause who? Frank Welker, who voiced Optimus Prime and you know, oh, every okay. animated character. Yeah, uh, Captain Caveman will be Tracy Morgan. Ugh. Gina Rodriguez will be Velma. Right. Which I have an issue with that I'll get to in a moment. It's not an issue. It's just a sort of weird, why do you keep doing this random thing thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, will Forte from The Last Man on Earth. Yes. He's going to be Shaggy. Sure. Uh, Amanda Seyfried will be Daphne. That's it. Do you know who's voicing Fred? Oh, as soon as you say it, I know it. Who is it? I'm going to be really honest. If you did this in a live action movie, I wouldn't care what the rest of the movie was. You'd have my money for this. All right, who is it? Who plays Fred? Oh, it's really bugging me because I do know. Zach Efron. That's it. I was going to say it's Zach Efron. Damn it. I should have said it. bloody Efron. I should have said it. It's Fred. I mean, really. the other thing is, right, Gina Rodriguez being Velma. Right. It's not that like, I don't have any objection to it or anything. It's just, I just find it odd. Mm. Why, when they keep doing Scooby-Doo things, like ever yeah. since post-James Gunn, Ever since the James Gunn movies. Uh-huh. Why is Velma always Hispanic? I don't know. It's a... Like, there's no reason she shouldn't be. It's just... When did that get decided? Because the last version prior yeah. to this of Velma was Linda Cardellini. Yeah. Which is, is one of my, my things. But, I know. Uh, yeah, I, I have a big... You, you've seen who I date. I um, But, yeah, again... Like, I saw that Daphne and Velma movie uh, about a year ago. Oh, yeah. The one where Daphne and Velma are in high school and they fight zombies. And she was Hispanic in that as well. And it was a very, just a random choice. Like, okay, there's no reason you shouldn't. But it's just, why have you particularly made Velma? Maybe it's just a coincidence. Yeah, just a real coincidence. But, uh, yeah. Okay, so Scooby-Doo movie coming. Right, I watched a documentary about two weeks ago. Mm Mm-hmm. It was called The Inventor, mm-hmm. and it was directed by one of my favourite documentary makers, Alex Gibney, who uh, directed uh, Going Clear, the Scientology story, oh, directed that excellent. movie about, uh, what's his name, Lying Bastard Cyclist, Lance Armstrong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you you knew who I meant. It should have been called that. <laughs> Lying Bastard Cyclist. <laughs> Everyone would know who it's about. Right. Um, so, uh, it... The, the, the story of the inventor, if you're not familiar with this, is Elizabeth Holmes, who was, I think, the world's most successful female entrepreneur at one point, or something like that. Oh. She was a young woman who um, had invented a new blood screening technology. We were all going to have medical scanning devices in our house. Ooh. Right. We were going to be able to take nano, nano amounts of our blood, pop them into something the size of a pill, pop it in this machine, and this one machine would tell us everything we need to know about our health. Mm-hmm. There was one slight problem. It was all bullshit. Oh. It was absolutely all bullshit. Right? She had fabricated everything. I have heard of this. You have heard of this. Now, here's the reason you'll be hearing about it a lot. We've got a movie version of that coming up of from course. the director of Vice and the Big Short, oh. Adam McKay. Have a get. And, and, well, I mean, you, this has been around for a while, so you may well know who's playing her. No, I don't. Jennifer Lawrence. Excellent. Have you ever seen The Woman? No. Have you ever seen Elizabeth Holmes? Oh, show her to me. Right. Elizabeth Holmes is... I mean, I'm not going to deny that on a sort of psychotic level, I am kind of weirdly attracted to Elizabeth Holmes, but that's just because I'm attracted to nutters. Right. So, Elizabeth Holmes. (laughs) Genuinely, this is Elizabeth Holmes. 
Wow, that's good casting. Yeah, it's good casting, isn't it? You'd get Jennifer Lawrence that to play her, wouldn't you? casting. Right. She looks like Steve Jobs of women. Ah, uh, ah, <laughs> uh, that's intentional. Oh. She did that specifically. Oh. She actually modelled herself on Steve Jobs. It comes up in the documentary. Wow. The documentary doesn't, uh, does, doesn't feature much contemporary stuff on Elizabeth Holmes. It, it kind mm-hmm. of stops about a year or so in our past. But uh, do watch it. It's a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. The Adam McKay documentary, I can't wait for. I can't wait to see Jennifer Lawrence play it. She, she puts on a fake voice. I don't know if you know this. Elizabeth Holmes would put on it and necessarily... I sound like I'm going like us. You, you sounded more like Eddie Redmayne. Uh, oh no! I thought I was going. I thought I was going Lupita in Us. You went more Eddie Redmayne. When you vacation, I sleep in a cage. <laughs> it was Eddie Redmayne through and through, Van. I'm sorry to tell you. Well, hang on. So there's a short, hot, skip and jump between I create life and once upon a, a time. time. I need to see Us again. Yeah, I was such a I'll go good see movie. it with you. My I, I mom, was into it. My mum watched Get Out for the first time the other day. Did she like it? She loved it. Oh, well, I, good because I told her about Us and mm. I, I showed her the trailer. She's like, "That looks brilliant." So, but what's this Get Out thing? They keep putting Get Out. Like, like Get Out's written all over it. I'm like, Do you "Oh, have to take a moment." Just like what? <laughs> my own mother. <laughs> my mum doesn't pay attention to anything. I don't hit down, her. So. She's your mother. Hey, if my family paid attention to literally a third of the things I'd say, they'd be cinematic experts. <laughs> but uh, they don't, and they are not. They don't. So, anyway, um, the whole thing with the uh, uh, Elizabeth Holmes story. Uh-huh. Right, on top of Jennifer Lawrence playing mm. for an Adam McKay film, mm-hmm. we're also getting a TV version. Right. I say TV, streaming, from Hulu. And it is, uh, it's going to be called The Dropout. Uh-huh. It's going to be between six and ten episodes. Uh-huh. Oh, that's it. Sorry. She's the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. That was her title. Well, now that's Kylie Jenner, so move mm. along. Who do you think could play Elizabeth Holmes after? On TV. On Jennifer Lawrence. After Jennifer Lawrence. So you've already got Jennifer Lawrence. Who could you get for an alternative? The chick from um, Happy Death it. Day. Oh, no. No, but that's good. That's good. That's mm. good. Oh, I love her, too. Uh, no. I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you announce who it is as I show you this picture. What? Yep. What? Yep. You remember her name? I'm sure she's too old. Oh, I don't don't know. I don't know. It's it's Kate McKinnon. It's Kate McKinnon. Sorry, again. Uh, This is not a visual medium. I keep forgetting. And, oh, that was the name of the company. Sorry, Theranos. Which was, I believe, a portmanteau of therapy and diagnosis. I believe that's it. So she's combined those two words to make Theranos, I believe. Uh, The device, I think, was called Sherlock. Very snazzy. It was either Sherlock or Holmes, I forget. But honestly, you've got to watch the documentary. It is messed up. I'm still a bit thrown by that casting. I feel (laughs) like that's a leap. (laughs) I don't know. Mm. Oh, wow, wow. Okay, because obviously when we're doing this, I always pull the, the, the news from Digital Spy. I love the fact that they have written it as I as I said it. The problem is, the problem was, it was a lie. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the uh, Adam McKay one, mm. have a guess what the title is? I love the title, even. No Bad idea. Blood. Bad Blood. Bad Blood. Oh, that wrote itself. Oh, it did, didn't it? It did. And if you don't get that Taylor Swift song, I mean, 
Uh, why even What try kind of world are we living in You ain't in even now? trying, dog. I mean, what kind of world? Yeah, exactly. You just put that in Google and it comes straight up. <laughs> exactly. Right, do you remember Fan Bingbing? Fan Bingbing, indeed. Fan Bingbing? Yes. Uh, sister of Fan Chang Chang, I believe. Is that real? That is absolutely real. You're not doing a Lars von Lars Lars to me. No, 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 that uh, brother's name was Fan Chang Chang. Excellent. But he is, he is Fan Chang Chang. Anyway. I was going to um, say, is he dead? Do you remember that she was taken down for massive tax evasion? Yes, I do. Right, she back. Because she disappeared, didn't she? She, she vanished. Literally yeah. vanished. <laughs> she actually vanished. She's back. She's mm. got a film project. She'd already committed it to it before. Uh, she's paid her taxes. Scandal. And uh, yeah, she's back. It's called Three Five Five. Oh, it's a spy spy movie. A spy thriller. Yeah. Lupita's in it. Excellent. Blue Peter Nyong'o, uh, Penelope Cruz, Marion Cotillard, Jessica Chastain. Ooh, this is like a <clears> this is like a widow's type casting. And directed by Simon Kinberg. Who's right. making his, uh, I believe, making his feature debut with uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix. All right. Which also stars Jessica Chastain. And which also is the latest chapter of a series in which Fan Bingbing had starred. Oh, indeed. Mm. Sure. She played Blink. In, they, all, uh, they all keep it all related in Hollywood. She played Blink in Days of Future Past, which you, of course, know, because we attended that screening together at the, uh, the BFI. And you spilt your the drink all over me. I spilt my drink all over you, and you pissed off a gentleman sat in front of us. Oh, who, so uh, I did. told us off, and I believe the quote was, on behalf of everyone ever. Oh, yes! What a prick. <laughs> and I say that as someone who got punched during a Fast and Furious screening, so... We we have fun. We we have very we have interesting, fun. very interesting lives. So yes, spy movie, fan bing bing. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Kerry Fukunaka. Uh, would you call me? <laughs> Kerry Fukunaka, who made uh, True, True Detective, first uh-huh. True Detective, uh, is making the new. Is, has, has he written or is he directing? He's involved with the new Bond movie. Mm-hmm. He's going to make a TV series adaptation of Last of the Mohicans. All right. Yeah. Interesting choice. No one asked for it. Speaking of no one asked for it, have you heard what Paramount's doing? Oh, dear God. Uh, It's probably worse than you even think. Hang on, because they're really climbing over themselves to try and find a goddamn franchise these days. Oh. Is it a franchise? speaking of. It's a franchise, isn't it? It's a prequel to Greece. Oh, no. (laughs) No, 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 no. What's the prequel going to be? It's about how uh, Sandy and Danny met. I bloody knew it! Of I bloody knew it! What is it going to be? So hang on a minute. So the entire premise... Actually, it's Greece, so this kind of fits. So the entire premise of their movie is uh-huh. going to be young John Travolta goes on holiday, meets young Olivia Newton-John... Hits lies, it. Yeah, li- <laughs> lies to her to hit that. Hits and then and quits that's it. the end. Yeah, hits yeah. and quits. yeah. That's I mean, the movie. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's just reality. Well, you know, someone needed a job. Clearly, I I can't even. Right. No. Genuine question. Mm. How much money do you think they've thrown at Zac Efron? What for a Grease prequel? Oh. How much money, seriously, do you think they have thrown at Zac Efron? A lot of money. Because you would, wouldn't you? A lot of money. You would throw I'm hoping, every dollar. I'm hoping. That he's too grown up now to accept it. Oh, God, yeah. I'm Absolutely. hoping. Because do you know what this is going to turn into? 
Mm-hmm. This is going to turn into that day yeah, dancing yeah, remake. You knew you were going there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this is going to turn into. Right. Just to explain this, about oh. a year ago, Kelly and I both watched the American TV movie remake of Dirty Dancing starring Abigail Breslin. Abigail Breslin. Uh, mm. Nicole, Scherzinger? From, uh, Nicole Scherzinger. Her from Will and Grace. Deborah Messing. Deborah Messing. I believe the dad was Captain Pike. From Star Trek, wasn't he? Uh, oh, Bruce Greenwood. Bruce Greenwood. Bruce Greenwood. And we're forgetting Sarah Highland. We're uh, forgetting who could Sarah forget Highland. Sarah Highland? I will never forget Sarah Highland. She's lovely. But if you haven't watched it, you have to watch it immediately. It is the hilarious. most hilarious, ridiculous, pointless, <laughs> cringe-inducing <laughs> thing. And I must have watched it about ten times. Really? Not even kidding you. I oh. Do you know when I'm feeling sad, I on? will put that film on because that will cheer me right up. What is that? Oh. That's exactly what this Grease prequel is going to be. That's it, isn't it? That's I mean, what it's going to be. It's funny enough, before you said that, I was think I was literally thinking, after the, after the Zephron comment, but before you said that, I was literally thinking to myself, knowing our look, they're going to get that fucker from the uh, Dirty Dancing movie. Yes, notice we haven't said his name. Because no one who knows. was he? No one knows who he was. I, apparently he's a real dancer. Yeah, apparently I'm like, well, he didn't demonstrate it. Apparently he's quite, he was quite a high profile, like backup dancer. <laughs> Answer kind of guy. Well, back up being the like you know those guys that like tour with J Lo and shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but he was left shark. Well, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, a, a Grease prequel. I mean, yeah, it's unnecessary. You're we really... didn't need the sequel. Let's be honest. No, I mean, Michelle from... Pfeiffer, love you, but we didn't need it. Gilmore likes it, but no one else does. Uh, it's a guilty pleasure movie, but it's but it's it's not good. No, no, it's not. Also, I mean, I'm just genuinely dreading it. I'm sorry, you can't get the Grease fan base back in a cinema for a prequel. You, no. you won't do it. No. It won't happen. I don't think so. And you you know, on concept alone, that's going to be terrible. It is. Right. You also know, I mean, realistically, when it happens, it's going to bomb. It's going to get bad reviews. It's going to bomb. It's going to bomb. It could be the greatest film in the world. The adulation for Greece is too much. It is. It, it's too iconic. Because also, Greece was an accidental hit. Yeah. It, it was. It was accidental. They didn't mean to do it. It shouldn't have happened. It's not going to happen again. <laughs> and, and that is my final word, Van. Shall we make a deal with the universe? Oh God, yeah, we not reviewed that, have we? <laughs> oh crap, I forgot about that. So, uh, yeah, a deal with the universe, which I'm going to pull up on IMDb because I'll be really honest, I don't remember a whole heap about it other than the parts I didn't like. We are professional, I yeah, swear. we are. So, a deal with the universe is a documentary by Jack. Uh, oh, Jason Barber, no, Jason Barker, sorry, mm-hmm. Barber. I'm thinking of Nicholas. I'm thinking of Nick Barber, my friend, the critic. Right, it is officially listed as an autobi- autobiographical documentary. Uh, by Jason Barber, uh, Barker, Barber, bloody hell. Right, the idea is you've got a gay female couple, uh-huh. uh, Jason Barker, and I his partner. He has transitioned, obviously, that is, that's how it works. But as he was transitioning, and uh-huh. I think this is, is it roughly 2003, I think we're told at one point. As he's transitioning, yeah. his partner is diagnosed with cancer. Oh. And undergoes treatment. Mm-hmm. He then, uh, uh, but but one of the big things that they've had is they want to have a kid, uh-huh. right? They've got uh, sperm from a, a friend, male friend, and you know the idea is they're going to implant it into Jason's partner. Yeah, 
Exactly. However, the cancer kind of removes that possibility from them Aww. because the, the, the her cancer treatment basically sees her going through early menopause. Like the the result is effectively early menopause. Nice. So this is sad it's already. completely out of the question. Jason then makes a decision of his own, which is well, I'm a fair way through this transition, but not all the way. Ah. Yeah. So. Why don't we... Yeah, here's a clip. The only thing, as I was saying to you, Trace, is that I was on the tube and I was coming home this evening and I had a kind of feeling in my belly of something saying, hello. Actually, it was a bit more than that. If I was to elaborate... God, it's definitely your child then, isn't it? (laughs) No, I just had a feeling of something saying... Definitely got your genes. No, I... No, I was feeling It was slight- yabbing as soon as the bloody conception's happening. It's going... Now, it's very personal. Mm-hmm. It's, it obviously has to be personal, you know, for the, for the material. But I... And, and, and there is an amazing story in there. You, you, you can't deny that story, as I've just pitched you. Like you just said, that's emotional. That's, yeah. that's a real... That's a proper story. Yes, it is a great story. It's not a great documentary. It isn't. Uh, Jason Barker has made the documentary uh-huh. entirely himself. And for me, a lot of it, the entire thing is set up. Like, right. The entire thing is set up. Like, right. I, I mean, I don't think the actual pregnancy starts to starts to become a thing until I think about like twenty minutes before the end. And it just it goes on and on. And I I had issues. I I I think people can wear out their welcome very very quickly. And I think Jason Barker does that here. Yeah. I think Jason Barker's. Uh, general personality, I think, is more charming to him than it is to really anyone else. We get shown a lot of footage, for instance, of his stand-up work. Oh. And it's not great. Self-indulgent. There is that to it. You do kind of feel with this one that... uh, I I do feel that if you removed the the zeitgeisty of our time relevance of this, Mm. this wouldn't get a look in. At all, if if this were just a straight standard pregnancy documentary, well, you, you yeah. wouldn't. You know, obviously, it wouldn't, but because there'd be nothing remarkable about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a miracle. But it's one that yeah, I, I do. I did come away from this thinking that story is genuinely terrific, and mm. I would love to watch a narrative version of this. I'd love to watch a movie based on this story. Yeah, but I feel like the documentary is too self indulgent. It's too whiny. It's nauseating at times how self indulgent it can become. And the clip we played, for instance, in which you hear, I think it's Tracy's as part of the name, like Tracy saying, oh, it's definitely your kid, things like that. Uh, Jason himself has clearly no depth with that. I have has to say, no it did, perception. Yeah, that clip, it, it, mm. it did sound a bit like a conversation you'd overhear at a party. Yeah. The idea is Tracy's obviously very jokey and very mm. aware that he goes on a bit. He yeah. clearly is not. He's oh, someone no. who loves himself very oh, Jason. much. Jason. And you come, I, I came away from the documentary thinking that that kind of defined it for me. It kind of defined, like, I just wish you'd been a slightly more likable person. You'd think, like, you know. he's got this story to tell. Like, yeah. Why is somebody else not telling it for him? You do, you do sit and think, like, you do, you, like I say about the narrative thing, like, this, this, this clearly an amazing narrative film is, and I won't be surprised. Maybe if that's that what he's going for, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, if this is all a pitch for a narrative film yeah. down the line, this thing will be a goddamn Oscar winner. Yeah. And, you know, you, you show me that movie, I'm, I'm there with bells on. Mm. 
because I like the story. And I'll be honest with you, going into it, because I only I knew the concept. Mm. I knew, you know, transitioning female to male, going to be pregnant. That's the documentary. I'm guessing that if I saw a picture of him, I'd recognise him. Probably not, actually. I mean, really? I, didn't. I don't know. I didn't. Hmm. But... I'm going to Google. So, I mean, yeah, you, you'll absolutely spoil the documentary if you do. But <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine I'm going to watch it. You're not selling it that well. But... No, no, I, I do think, though, you'll, you'll watch this documentary. You will feel, I think you'll feel pretty much in line with me, to be yeah. honest. It, you do think, great story wish someone slightly more engaging had told it. He does not clearly have m- much in the way of, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, self-realisation. Yeah. Not, not, there's no real self-perspective No in self-awareness. There. Yeah. And uh, I, I found that problematic. But, eh. Speaking of self-awareness, can yeah. we talk about the, say, the state of cinema screenings? Oh, yeah, we, we've, been do, we've been building to this, haven't we? We've been we? building You're, to this. This is you and Dumbo, isn't this it? This is me and Dumbo. So the reason that I couldn't express an opinion on Dumbo is that, quite frankly, I didn't get to watch the damn thing. <laughs> okay. Seriously. This was, this was your screening experience. It was my screening. It? I went to Cineworld in Sheffield, you know, great cinema. But it was ironic to me that I was watching a film about a circus mm-hmm. given the state of that screening. This was a 7.50pm screening of Dumbo. There was a small child of two years old with a balloon on a stick on the front row waving it around. There were 14-year-olds wrestling uh, on their seats and just the piece to resistance was the band of 40-odd-year-old women, about five of them on their Saturday night out, who were literally commentating the entire film. Like, like what was it that you mentioned earlier? Ian McShane, who would basically... Something would happen, and then he would explain what you've just seen. That's exactly what they were doing. Can so I... Colin Farrell walks out with one arm. He's just come from the wall. Mm-hmm. It's just right at the beginning of the movie. Oh, no, bless him. He's <coughs> only got one arm. Like, uh, oh, look, he's got big ears. Oh, he's tripping over them. He's tripping over his ears because they're so big. Like ridiculous what what is going on cine world what is yeah, going on i i told a woman off for doing that in a screening years ago and when the film was over it was a talker screening it was one of the show film first kind of deals uh paul haggis uh next three days um and after the film one of the two women told me you really are uh the rudest man the rudest young man on like, behalf yeah. of everyone everywhere uh, <laughs> and my response was and you're fucking old enough to know better it's true i'm sorry like cinema is expensive enough these days you buy a ticket because you want to go and watch a film in the dark in the quiet like respect it it's funny you say that about the cinema's expensive enough um when we saw dumbo because we had the family outing for Mm -hmm. dumbo where i took my cousins the twins i took my maya my sister and uh her husband and their kid yeah who was is five months old and uh, this was his first proper Pressure experience mm-hmm. was on a Sunday morning, and it was at First the. Of uh, many. It was the Odeon Leicester Square. Nice, which has been done up recently. They still got the leopard print seats. Nope. Uh, I'm out. Oh no, it's Odeon Lux now. Oh. And the tickets were about forty-five quid a seat. What? Yeah, it's forty-five. About forty-five quid to see. I remember it was Mary Poppins. It launched with Mary Poppins. That's outrageous. And so forty-two, I think, it was forty-two quid to see Mary Poppins. That is outrageous. So yeah, that's how much a cinema costs in central London now. So if you paid that whether you've paid 42 quid or you've paid 12 pound 50 if i've paid 42 quid it is and you fuck and you fuck around in that cinema i will cut you yes 
I mean, the the women behind me and the kids in front of me, they were treating it like they were sat on the sofa with each other watching this film, which is like, if that's the experience that you want, if you want to sit and chat about it, don't come to the cinema to watch it. Do you remember years ago, Wilson and I went to see Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Last Stand? Which, remind me what that is. That was always the sheriff and there's a fugitive coming his yes. way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there was a guy in the cinema with a clamshell phone. Mm-hmm. Right, I remember this. It was like a proper old school clamshell phone. And he kept taking it out and texting and we told him off. And this was, this was in a screening at 10 in the morning. And he, his, his, his excuse was, my daughter's in intensive care. Well, our, why are you watching a movie? That was our response. <laughs> why are you here then? What an idiot. There's no excuse for it. Like, like I know you want to kill time, but goddamn. Oh, honestly, it's just ridiculous. And I know that it's kind of this product of, you know, the cinemas, they're making apparently less money, even though they're charging about 500 quid for some popcorn. So they have like one member of staff to go you know, around the whole place. You know, years ago, there was a whole legal quandary for about, about a week, I think, mm-hmm. where uh, cinemas toyed with introducing phone jammers. Ooh, well, right. I'd be down for that. They didn't do it because I believe that some legal department, one of the legal departments, it's probably infringing it. on human rights. Or That's it. it. Apparently, it is a violation of human rights, True. like as, as as defined by the United Nations. It is apparently a violation of human rights. But I'm not telling people they should. I'm just simply going to say you you can buy them on eBay. Just just just, <laughs> just put it out there. About forty quid, actually. You you can, if you were so inclined, buy them on eBay. Well, do you know what? If you're going to sit there on your phone throughout the whole thing, right, I'm going to ask nicely. This is just a request. Sit on the goddamn back row. You know, uh, there was a film years ago, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, and there was a dude sat in front of me, and he was he was texting through this movie. Yeah. And he was blatantly trying to pick up this girl who he was talking to. It's, it's obvious that he'd been sort of friend-zoned. So you like you could tell I could that. see. I could you actually could read every message and I just started following it as like a subplot to the movie I was watching. <laughs> Whereas like, I had the secondary storyline. And at one point he just he'd been doing it so that I literally leant over and went, dude, she ain't biting, bro. <laughs> I'm like, seriously. This is it, humiliate them. This oh, is the way to deal with I it. I love, love humiliating kids in cinemas. Love it. It's my favourite thing. I'm there was a dude so... shopping during a screening of On Her Secret Service years I'm ago. I'm a cinema shusher, and people who are with mm. me get ashamed of me, but I have to do it. I can't help it. I literally, there was a dude sat with his dad during a cult classic screening of On Her Majesty, and he was on some clothing site, and I literally shouted, It's going to look shit on you! Put it away! <laughs> so that's our new tactic. We're going to start this trend of humiliating the phone users. Interact. interact with them. Seriously. Because, you know, you, you have the absolute right. If they're putting the screen up in front of you, you know, yeah. you're there to watch something on the screen. And why is you their there? screen always on full brightness, yeah. man? It's never dimmed down, it's is it? It's never dimmed never. down. I know, motherfuckers. I know. I'm just like, how can you be, much like Jason Barker or whatever his name was, how can you be this unself-aware? Ugh. Idiots. All of them. <laughs> anyway, that's my rant. And that's I'm sick rant. of it. And mine too. You know what? I'm going to call that a week. In which I think case, we did a, a good a good job this We week. did. We did a pretty good job. I think there's only one way to finish it, though. You want to do it? Here it is. Your moment of cage. Sometimes you're a dragon, sometimes you're a bunny.